0: In 1993, horror cinema would forever be changed by the story of three students lost in the woods. The original.
1: It's very hard to get lost in America these days, and it's even harder to stay lost. So we have that on our side.
0: The sequel.
1: Get out of these woods and go home. There is no goddamn Blair Witch.
0: The reboot.
1: Identify
2: people who remember. You're
1: Russell Parr, understood you have to do what she told
0: you! join us as Devour the Podcast looks at the legacy of the Blair Witch Project zip up the tent <gasps> stay calm
1: <laughs>
0: and most of all keep the camera running
1: i want to make movies Heather now what we're here to do is make some movies
0: In 1993, Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, two student filmmakers at the University of Central Florida, discovered a common belief that documentaries about the paranormal were often scarier than horror films built around similar subjects. Myrick, who had grown up in and around the swamps and woods of Central Florida, had often imagined running across stick figures in these remote locations, a notion that, quote, creeped the hell out of me. From this inauspicious beginning, The Blair Witch Project was born. The pair decided on a hybrid of horror film and documentary, something that would combine the best elements of both. With Myrick's initial pitch for the folk horror of his stick figures, the pair began building a mythology that would have been at home on a shared favorite program the Leonard Nimoy hosted In Search Of. The Blair Witch herself was given the name Ellie Kedward, which referred to Edward Kelly, Kelly was a notable mystic from the mid-1500s, an investigator into the paranormal and self-proclaimed medium, who stated he had the ability to transmute common metals to gold. He was, essentially, the stereotypical alchemist, who was imprisoned late in life by the Holy Roman Emperor, Rudolf II, after Kelly claimed he could produce gold and then, well, never did. He either died in prison due to wounds after an escape attempt, or he poisoned himself, depending on which story you believe. Rustin Parr, the hermit who lived alone and murdered seven children in the lore of the film, was an anagram of Rasputin, the Russian monk with the hypnotic eyes, who rose from humble beginnings to ingratiate himself with the Tsar and Tsarina of Russia right before the fall. Legend says he was notoriously difficult to kill and seemed possessed of unique healing abilities when it came to Tsarina Alexandra's sickly male heir, Alexei. Like Kelly, Rasputin was a self-identified mystic and spiritualist. According to lore, Rasputin was lured to the home of Felix Yusupov, where he was poisoned via food and drink, which had no effect and only shrugged off this mortal coil after being shot three times one of those wounds in his forehead. The directors also pulled liberally from true accounts of witch accusations from early American history and even Arthur Miller's The Crucible, which fictionalized the horrible and horrifying notion of those accused of witchcraft and summarily punished for the invented crimes. Another influence cited by Myrick and Sanchez was the Spielberg film Jaws, which traded on the implied presence of the killer shark over the explicit portrayal of it. Likewise, Chariots of the Gods and The Legend of Boggy Creek, 70s-era paranormal documentaries, were referenced as a touchstone for the presentation of the film. After developing the idea further, Sanchez and Myrick assembled an 8-minute faux documentary for investors, which appeared on the IFC show Split Screen. You can find it on YouTube now, and I recommend it if only to see the links that Sanchez, Myrick, and producer Greg Hale went to from the very beginning to present this project as a real story. Unlike the later film, the documentary suggests Rustin Parr was up to his dark business in the 1800s, though the supernatural influence of the witch was still suggested. The trio of filmmakers, different names and faces here, remain part of the story as does the discovery of the film canisters recounted in Curse of the Blair Witch. Hale, Myrick, and Sanchez appear in the documentary as themselves, wondering aloud if the recovered footage will reveal any truths about the disappearance of the three filmmakers lost in the woods. Also notable, this is the first mention that woods have pockets that exist out of time, a theme picked up later in the series. Financing was procured, and Myrick, Sanchez, and the producers set about finding their doomed filmmakers. An ad was placed in the back of Backstage Magazine, hunting for actors with strong improvisational backgrounds. From about 2,000 auditions, the team settled on Heather Donahue, Josh Leonard, and Mike Williams. The ad read specifically quote, Attention, casting, improvisational feature film. HFP is holding an open call for The Black Hill Project, non-union with pay, travel, and meals. Shooting October through November for three weeks in Maryland. Seeking women and men 18 through 25 with natural look. Extremely challenging roles to be shot under very difficult conditions. Saturday, August 23rd, 1 to 7 p.m., 3rd Floor, Musical Theater Works. When auditioning, Donahue was given an improvisational exercise. She was told, You have been in prison. You have served nine years of a 25-year sentence, but you're up for parole. Why should we let you out? I don't think you should, replied Donahue. She got the part. Michael Williams was asked the same thing. According to him, There was no lag time. You were improvising as soon as you got in the room, and if you weren't ready for that, you were gone. Joshua Leonard had been campaigning to get the part from well before the final casting calls of Heather Donahue and Michael Williams. He knew how to work a camera, as did Mike, and the chemistry between the actors was unmistakable from early tests. It was time, then, to take them to the hell of being lost and haunted. Greg Hale, one of the producers, had been through survival school in the Army. From his experience, the production team crafted a narrative survival school one where gps devices would lead the actors from point to point with notes on how the story should be progressed but the actors would be isolated filming and recording themselves it was immersive filmmaking each day the actors would find film canisters via their gps devices which contained notes instructions for what the actors needed to accomplish that day the actors were sleeping in tents and eating less food as the shoot wore on Though it wasn't quite as remote as the footage implied, it was, according to Donahue, a daily use park and shooting would occasionally be suspended for families to go by on bikes. Dan Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez tried to keep things surprising. Originally, Mike had been slated to be the first doomed character, but after seeing some of the arguments between Josh and Heather, the directors changed course. Much of the work inside the house was choreographed by directors, But stumbling on the house was a product of the vague orders given to the cast. It's a blend of natural improvisation and directed narrative. The shoot wrapped on Halloween, and Michael Williams remembers the anti-climax of the rap. Quote, It was very surreal. You were exhausted. You had just come through this guerrilla filmmaking, emotionally draining experience. And you're just hungry. And you want to go eat, and you go to Denny's, and there's a bunch of witches and warlocks running around. The cast disbanded and the crew, with hours of footage recorded, retired to an editing bay to see what they had on their hands. For the next eight months, Eduardo Sanchez would edit at night and Dan Myrick edited during the day. Because the film had been conceived as a Boggy Creek-like narrative, complete with a narrator and a more dramatic structure, it took time for Hale, Myrick, and Sanchez to come around to the idea that the movie worked best when it was just the cast filming themselves. Already, they had begun filming an actress to be Heather's mother, and a detective story was sketched out, and all of this faux-documentary footage was intended to be about half the film. Only, it was, to the filmmaker's eyes, a better movie when we stayed with the kids, alone, haunted. Sundance was looming, and Myrick and Sanchez were at odds with how much to explain, Worrying that the footage of the kids by itself would never make sense to an average filmmaker. Sanchez said the decision was made to leave all the expository shots out. Quote, this is not going to help, he said. This is not going to be a mainstream movie, no matter how you explain it. We're not going to be able to compete with Hollywood movies. Alongside the edit, Eduardo Sanchez had put together the film's website. He filled in the gaps of the mythology, creating a timeline for the Blair Witch and the disappearance of the children. It was one of the early sites to go viral, and offshoot sites popped up, with the Blair Witch being well on its way to becoming an internet phenomenon. The submission deadline for Sundance was creeping ever closer, and the Blair Witch made her first appearance on the show Split Screen, an IFC program that highlighted emerging independent filmmakers. Already... The crew knew they wanted to maintain an aura of reality around the project. The film was accepted into Sundance, and it was immediately christened one of the films to see. Curious filmgoers struggled to get tickets during the festival, and the film left Sundance with an option by Artisan Films, an indie film studio. Baked into the mythos was the idea that this movie was real. Artisan talked IMDB into listing the actors as missing, presumed dead for a time. While Myrick and Sanchez were careful not to outright lie about the fate of the actors, they played coy, allowing audiences that wanted to believe that the Blair Witch mythology was real to continue to do so. With the airing of the Sci-Fi Channel documentary, the website, and plenty of subterfuge, the buzz was hot for Blair Witch before it ever hit theaters. This movie, people said, was the true story of kids lost in the woods and stalked by an invisible and very evil force and every bit of marketing from artisan encouraged this view because this is an enormous undertaking uh it's you know three movies and a bunch of books and comic books and video games and all kinds of stuff so uh and we're going to talk a little bit about all of that but to help me with this first of all uh my continuing partner in crime here on devour the podcast one vanessa mchenry hello there howdy you are you ready for this (laughs) y'all y'all ready for this as the kids say
3: Boy, am I ever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. And and a special guest, uh, we Jamie Jenkins is on, uh, Jamie Sammons, rather, I, Jamie Jenkins is on assignment getting her name officially changed to Jamie Sammons, uh, and she will, of course, be back next month in her stead. Look, nobody can replace Jamie, because uh, frankly, no one's had that much head trauma.
1: And,
3: I, I might. <laughs> I don't know. I did land on my face literally last week yeah,
0: again. I mean
3: and you're, get two black eyes at the same time again i can't tell you how many times in my life i've had that so <laughs>
0: you're, you're giving her a run for her money no one's taking that away from you
3: i'm just maybe that's why we get along
0: We'll we'll see <laughs> we'll see how the words come out tonight and and see how much it's affected you um but uh no our 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 friend uh mile pal on on grave shift radio and um god it seems like we've known each other at this point for a decade it probably hasn't been that long but it feels that way uh in a good way but uh our old pal john rhodes of rabbit and red hey john how are you sir hello everybody are you are, are you prepared are you ready for the undertaking that is blair witch um the 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 uh mantle of responsibility of uh discussing this as a mythology
4: I, I think I'm up to it. Um, and the funny thing is, is that uh, David and I had discussed this before David decided to step down, and it actually came up again because uh, you guessed it on uh, Rabbit and Red, and I remember discussing it with you. And plans were laid, and here we are. Even though this is not
0: October. Yeah, it, it took a long time to make it happen for a number of reasons. Like,
3: just... <laughs> and I was. Wondering which one of you devised this plan.
4: I uh, blame David.
3: I, I usually do. I mean, <laughs> not a day goes by where he doesn't get that text for me.
4: <laughs> this, this is a result of me uh, watching The Blair Witch, uh, oh God, I believe for last Halloween. And me and David started talking about it and him saying, you know, I've always wanted to go back and revisit that. Maybe we should do it as DDP. And the conversation kind of went from there, and it, it had been on my mind since then. And I believe it just came up when uh, me and Bo were talking off air.
0: Yeah, there I, you go. It's uh, a long and tortured history to get this show to you, but <laughs> but here it is. And uh, so five days before the release of the Blair Witch Project, uh, Sci-Fi Channel airs the Curse of the Blair Witch, and so the juggernaut of marketing for this thing begins Uh, along with the website. There's this special that, that pops up that that's uh, again, a faux documentary, a mockumentary, if you will, uh, called the curse of the Blair witch to hype the movie. And it keeps playing into this idea that no for realsies y'all, this is really happening. There really is a Blair witch. There are three people who disappeared and so, I, I'm curious, did you guys ever see this, or did you see it before uh, seeing the Blair Witch Project? Because I remember Yet. this distinctly.
3: I do, yes. too. Yes, and I remember absolutely. before I went and saw Blair Witch in the theater.
4: I uh, I actually caught this, I think, the
0: first airing, or, you know, yeah. its premiere. So I, I think me, too. Yeah, I, I think we're all in the same boat on this. And it was... So incredibly effective because I think what I like about this. And so it's, it's basically a, a bunch of exposition that the movie doesn't bother with about, (laughs) (laughs) about Ellie Kedward and uh, who, who she is. And we get biographies of uh, Josh and Mikey and Heather and it also has maybe my favorite thing in in the whole uh, mockumentary is the witch dude who is on the like late seventies early 80s show Mystic yes. Occurrences. Yeah, yeah, that is the best part right there. Oh, it's v- just note perfect. Um, of the that kind of in search of era paranormal mm-hmm. show. Oh, it's so yeah. good. Um, and it does it does what it sets out to do which is be a commercial for the movie but it also kind of works on its own it's a really good creepy bit of setup i mean it doesn't <laughs> it at the end of the day it's just a big cliffhanger of like now go see the movie to see what happened to these kids yeah, but on its own, it really does
4: play off like an episode of In Search Of or something like that. And that is why I think it stands on its own, because it just leaves you wanting more, but it gives you enough that it, it hooks you.
3: Right. And it is a perfect marketing tool in that it's teasing these bits. And yes, once you have the film, it has this bunch of exposition you've already you're already familiar with. So you don't need it and you can get into the meat of the actual movie when you're in the movie.
0: Yeah, and it, it was maybe the first time I ever recall that level of you have to go outside the movie to get the fiction of the movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And 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 there are all kinds of reasons why the Blair Witch Project was groundbreaking, the original film was. Uh, and this is one of those things of, of, of having this fake documentary accompany your fake found footage movie and have it be convincing. Like it, it, when you see these performances, I think they are very natural and it does a good job. Like some of the other ones, some of the later mockumentaries that are attached to the Blair Witch uh, series, I don't think get this as right in terms of having it feel amateurish in a way. And yeah, it's I think it's really cool. I like I I've, I've watched it a couple of times in preparation for doing this show, and every time I watch it, I come away from it like excited to watch the Blair Witch project again.
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, oddly enough, I remember when it first aired, God, I believe I was in ninth grade, and uh even even just this little teaser, it, it actually kind of creeped me out. So I was definitely hyped. It did its job perfectly and i I still think it does its job perfectly i mean i honestly think there should be an option with the blu-ray where this plays first you have the option of watching (laughs) this like do you want to start the film with the curse of the blair
0: witch or do you just want to watch the film i think that should be the option right and it should read do you want to shortchange yourself (laughs) and just watch the movie you dope (laughs) <laughs> yeah and and this yeah. is available on youtube like if you're listening to this and you and you've never seen this it most of the stuff we're going to be talking about tonight that's the supplemental material is available e- very easily on youtube so I, I think
4: it speaks to our generation perfectly too because we did grow up with these shows like in search of and everything like that out there so it just kind of fits perfectly into that. That was what we were used to watching. So
3: For me, so much of what I enjoy about the Blair Witch is the way that it has been marketed. And the fact of, at this time, why you say... I think in part why this one seems more genuine than some of these later ones is that still, when this first came out... It was such a new concept. We weren't used to quote-unquote found footage. We weren't used to this mockumentary type thing so much. And there's something to be said for that. And so you get, I think, a more genuine reaction to, uh, to I mean, I think it was just the way it was directed. Is the way it was directed, trying to elicit certain reactions, more natural reactions out of people, and incorporating a certain amount of um, just improv. It's just not as scripted. I, I it is, but it, it's just not as scripted.
0: Yeah, and and we're we'll get into this with the movie. I I think uh, one final thought about Curse of the Blair Witch uh, that I have is that it. It lends uh, itself into th- the hype machine of this film, which in a weird way, as you know, the creators have said themselves, this movie should never have been as big as it was. And and there's just no predicting how big something like Curse of the Blair Witch would hit and that it would resonate with people. And even people who didn't see it, there were those who had were like, man, did you see this fucking thing on Simon? Like, I, I, the, are those kids really gone? Is this thing real? Surely not. No, of course not. But maybe you know that was the yeah. attitude. Yeah, yeah. This this served as
4: adding that question mark there because if you just saw the trailers and everything else, you'd be like, eh, "That seems kind of fake to me." But this just helped add to that that whole realism vibe that they were going for. It really helped add.
0: Well, now that we're right. we're hyped. We are at at peak consumer fervor. (laughs) Five days later, the Blair Witch Project hits theaters. When the movie hit, it hit unlike any indie film ever has. Made for next to nothing, the film earned $248.6 million. Were you there opening night to the panel, first of all? And second of all, uh, what was your immediate reaction upon leaving the theater for Blair Witch Project, then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the movie, but just what was your first, like, after all the hype, after Curse of the Blair Witch, after uh, the commercials and the questions and all that stuff, what was watching the movie like for you? Uh, Vanessa, what about you?
3: I think I saw it opening weekend, not opening night, and I remember coming out of there my initially my head was just spinning because it was like, wait a minute, what did I just watch? And then my second thought was that was fucking brilliant marketing. It was, yeah. I just, no, I was like the way that had been laid out to, cause I put that with this sci-fi mockumentary that came out, you know, just prior to it. Fucking brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> just I don't, I don't know that's that's immediately where my head went but it did serve a purpose of it was still creepy
0: yeah yeah
3: because i have gone camping plenty of times in the middle of fucking nowhere and when you start hearing sounds and those kinds of things yeah, yeah. even when you know logically it's this your mind plays tricks on you
0: right and i think that's one of the things that this movie either works for you or it doesn't. And it comes down to exactly what you're getting at. So before we get into that, John, what about you, uh, with, uh, the, the rocket ship Blair, Witch taken off at the box office, were you, were you there opening night? Oddly enough, I wasn't, this
4: was kind of at a time in my life where I didn't rush out to the theater all that often. Um, like I said, I was in ninth grade when this came out. Uh, my family, uh we weren't the best off so it it was a luxury that I wasn't often afforded and I actually didn't see this in theaters which I still regret to this day but I remember the hype like I said I watched uh The Curse of the Blair Witch when it first aired um I remember all the kids in school and all my friends talking about it and I actually remember um my one friend saying that it was crap he hated it it was something he could have made just as good in his backyard Because I actually grew up in kind of a rural area. I mean, I'm an hour outside of one of Pennsylvania's largest cities, but an hour outside in the middle of a national forest, basically. So I finally did get this on VHS and I watched it and I was blown away. It it just, it it hooked me 100%. And I don't know if it just hooked me so well or what, but I actually bought into it. For that, I don't know, first week or so afterwards, I I had bought in hook, line, and sinker. Like, oh shit, this is real.
0: I never never completely bought into it. I'm sure I had my doubts at the time. um, Because it's something that you kind of want to be real. (laughs) You know? It's like when you hear stories about the Mothman, you're like, "Eh, that seems just weird enough to be true. And I hope it is. Um, (laughs) That kind of thing. And... I don't know. Like After seeing the movie, I don't know that I thought that it was was real um, after seeing it. But the thing I remember most about the experience of seeing that, I did see it. If not opening night, it was the next night. It was the opening weekend for sure. And I went with a buddy of mine and he took his brother who, I want to say he was like 15 or 16 at the time, and he had to leave the theater because he got sick he got motion sick watching the film oh yeah and i thought oh that's cool if a movie can do that you know like i've I've got kind of an iron constitution that stuff doesn't really happen to me very often and then i i found the movie to be interesting and and not what i expected it to be i suppose um and then the last 10 minutes of it i thought were horrifying it scared like legitimately unsettled me uh the end of this movie the first time i saw it and you know it stuck with me and to this day like when i rewatched it a couple of times uh to prepare for this um the end of that movie the the pace of it the the frantic nature of it is disturbing to me uh oh, absolutely. yeah
3: yes definitely
0: you know and and so but you know what i i was talking about earlier uh in regards to what you were saying vanessa is that i think that if you like this movie it comes down to whether or not the fear of the unknown fear of the dark fear of being somewhere where you're uniquely vulnerable if that sort of stuff gets to you or not and because that movie the idea of being totally lost in the woods i think is what makes the movie kind of scary for the like hey we're in the middle of nowhere there are noises around the tent we don't know if it's people fucking with us and if it is that's kind of or if it's not that's a worse alternative and and all of it you know leading to this the sort of rush at the end of the film and you know i just found that like all those beats worked for me i found it uh to to be scary which is what you hope in a horror movie as yes, it happens and i'm i'm curious like when you know when you look at this movie now do you still get any kind of fear reaction from it or is it just academic at this point
3: i still think it's a little unsettling not as unsettling because i you know i know it i know it but speaking as someone who has been out in the middle of fucking nowhere in the woods doing witchy stuff too, there's a lot that I could see here. And I think it's part of what is so interesting about the mythos that surrounds this and how it's expanded into the entire universe. So I do like, I just, I gravitate towards those kinds of things anyway, but for me, the you're right. The frantic nature near the end it just kind of amps up this kind of sense of you're out in the middle of nowhere and you you're just you're lost you know that's even if you you experienced once as a little kid being lost from your parent for 15 minutes that sense can come right back to you when you see them just kind of running for like any sense of safety
0: all right so let's very briefly summarize this film Uh, And and talk about this mythology you mentioned. So the opening insert, by the way, of the, you know, hey, three people got lost uh, in the Black Hills of of Maryland. And this is the footage we found, you know, like that whole bit is uh, a trope now. Of You know, we a year later, th- their footage was discovered. You know, that kind of thing. But you have to hand it to it. Blair Witch did it first. And it's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> when I was watching it again, I was like, man, I remember seeing this at the theater and still being like, well, maybe. Maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's real, right? And so we were introduced to Heather, who says she's leaving home to go after the Blair Witch and has some uh, fancy-schmancy books about said Blair Witch. Josh is the first person to arrive, although he's late, uh, who is the cameraman. And then they pick up Mike, who Heather doesn't know, and he's going to be the sound guy. They first shoot at the cemetery, where we get the mention of the kids disappearing in the 1940s, and then we get the story of Rustin Parr, who is uh a a dude who lured a bunch of kids into his cabin and murdered them and the the word around town is that he was influenced by the blair witch or that that's uh sort of the the claim uh and then we hear you know a little bit of backstory about the blair witch uh, or at least the first real implication uh or or description that there is such a thing as the the blair witch tied to you the uh the black hills forest so um and i one of the things i like about this movie uh and and this series in general is i like most of the mythology of it i think it's it's kind of neat that it's just a good old-fashioned witch you know (laughs) like a scary fairy tale kind of witch that makes you do shit and 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 murders you and steals babies and whatnot
3: It's like nothing complicated, really. It's just, (laughs) there it is. This woman accused of witchcraft dies. You know, all these horrible things happen. Is there a curse? Is there not? You know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and during this whole sequence in the movie where, you know, they're kind of doing backstory about um, uh, who the Blair Witch is and so forth, there's the one mother that's got the baby in her arm. Who, as she's talking about the Blair Witch, is like, no, no, and I, I think that's really a nice moment caught. It felt like a nice bit of uh, lightning in a bottle of this kid being like, "Don't talk about the Blair Witch." Uh, it's kind of nice. It's a nice little moment, I thought. Well, what's crazy about that
4: is, um, a lot of the townspeople were plants, but with much of this film, the main actors that filmed. All the footage, uh, they had no idea any of the shit was set up. They had no idea who were plants or anything. They were just dropped off in Burkittsville and told, go interview these people, you know, start making a documentary.
3: And that's why this, like the, you know, kind of peak ahead of time works so well because there was a lot of that that went on. You know, that's why you get these reactions from the actors that are the main interviewers that are more genuine because they are genuine.
0: <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And I mean, the story of how this movie got made or the the process by which the, the actors were informed what to do and so forth. You know, we covered that in the upfront, but it, it you can't understate how important that is to how legitimate this movie feels. And And so when you have these moments, like when the bro dude, who is the first one to talk about the, uh, how the kids are arranged in the basement of like, well, one would be turned away and, and all that, that it, there, there's that air of authenticity that certainly none of the other movies have. And and most found footage movies don't have, like it just gets it right. Every step of the way, this feels authentic. And so they they go find a crazy old lady named uh, Mary Brown. <laughs>
3: oh, she's awesome. Right. She is all kinds of awesome.
0: Yeah, she tells them a story about uh, a hair covered lady in a cloak, and it's just she is a kooky old lady what lives in a trailer. Yeah, and...
4: that's running for president, and uh uh-huh. you know she's a scientist <laughs> and all this right. crazy shit. So she is, she is a great character witness.
3: Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm sure the aliens have abducted her too.
0: Oh, guaranteed. Yeah. She's a hoot. And, uh, later that night, our, our heroes, uh, decide to throw a little party, uh, before they head off into the woods. And it's at this point where like another thing, this movie gets right. That I think a lot of found footage movies don't nail is that these are likable enough kids they're a little arrogant they're a little haughty but they're they're decent enough people you know um they're not they're they're not off to do anything nefarious other than tempt fate a little bit by you know you go looking for trouble you're sure to find it that kind of thing but they're not big jerks to one another they're just college kids
4: Right. They they seem like real kids. None of them really seem to fall into any distinct stereotypes. You know, the kind of shit you would expect while watching a horror movie, you're not going to find the nerd, the slut. You're you're not going to find those stereotypes. They're just authentic kids or what seems like authentic kids.
3: Yeah. And the way that they interact is, you know, it's not OK. Of course, these are not people who are best friends. So, no, they would not act like that automatically anyway. It doesn't try to force that into the situation. But it also doesn't try to make them, like, mortal enemies to begin with. Like, you see where, okay, we're, you know, we're on, we're peers on this work project. I mean, like, that's kind of the approach where it comes from. And they, you know, a couple of them know each other somewhat, but still, they're not super, super close. And it's an interesting dynamic so that you can see... Okay, they're becoming more familiar with each other on one hand, but then also the relationship that they have, even just looking at each other as equals at different times. and as if we're all on the same page to get this project done. like the way this deteriorates de- de- deteriorates as the film goes on, as they you know are in this desperate situation of they're lost, they're tired, they're hungry, whatever. Is someone fucking with their heads? What? So, yeah, I think it's a good dynamic that between the three of them. And I think, that's a, I think that's a difficult thing. Most films don't seem to do that. I mean, most horror films.
0: Right. Well, most found footage movies, I find, tend to try to apply the slasher formula where it's like, well, we have a bunch of kids that fit these stereotypes and then we're going to knock them off in roughly this order. And whether it's a... You know monster or a killer or whatever, and whereas this movie isn't a slasher movie it's you know it's a supernatural horror film, and as such, like the characters don't fit neatly into those uh th- those labels and like so they go head off into the woods, and for my money, the weakest link of the Blair Witch project is here where we meet the fishermen who tell the story about <laughs> coffin rock and this <laughs> the, like this bartles and james scenario that we've got <laughs> with these two dudes is like eh, this is a little bit goofy what's funny to me is because with all
4: my knowledge of, of background on this at one point Uh, the old man was actually going to be the killer. It was going to be straight up like a Scooby-Doo ending where they discovered he was the killer and he killed them. Uh, That's great. uh, (laughs) And I would have gotten away
3: with it, too, if it hadn't been for you and you meddling kids. uh Well,
4: he was going to get away with it. He was going to actually kill them, but we were going to see that it was the old man here that's fishing that was the one. No. no. Yeah, yeah. They they did the right thing and steered right the fuck away from that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's (laughs) exactly. I mean, and that's the other thing. Like the other defining line of this movie is if you are cool with not ever seeing the thing. You know, like to not know in this movie is better than to know, and you know we'll get to it in the later films. But I think where the mythology starts to fall apart is when you start seeing stuff. Um, But we'll get to all that.
3: I agree with you on that, because seriously, part of what makes the woods terrifying is when you hear shit and you don't know what it is.
4: I agree to an extent. I, I think that's one of this film's strengths, is they leave so much up to your own imagination and the constant mystery that your mind's trying to unravel. But um, we'll get into, I believe, what you're uh, hinting at later, because I, I I will dispute you there. So
0: <laughs> all right, um, that's for another. Well, I was gonna say another time, a, a little bit later. Um, yeah. So uh, now they're you know just map and compass heading into the woods, which I think, like we were talking about, that's part of the fear of this movie of just, hey, if I if I get lost out here how do i ever find my way back and uh so they hike up to coffin rock and we have heather reading the story of how the bodies were found arranged in this kind of pentagram on coffin rock and uh you know there's a story about how uh some people went missing and then uh a search party was sent for them the search party uh doesn't come back. Another search party is sent to find that search party. And those are the people who are eventually, uh, who are, those are the people who discover the search party being massacred at coffin rock. They go to get help. When they come back, the bodies are gone. Do I have all that? Right. I believe I'm doing that off yeah. the top of my head. So, and, uh, so we, we get that story. Um, it's starting to rain and they're making camp and, the next morning Josh says like hey did you guys hear that like it sounded like somebody cackling last night. And they're like no stupid. <laughs> and this is like where we start to see some of those fractures where people uh, are starting to doubt whether or not Heather knows what the fuck she's talking about. And leading them towards you know uh, the the Blair the Rustin Parr house and stuff like that. She says they're heading for the cemetery trail and. And Mike is the, the real voice of dissent here. He is pretty sure that they're lost. And she's like, would well, you want to look at the map? He's like, I don't know how to read that fucking map and neither do you. <laughs> Things are not going well amongst our, uh, our heroes. They end up like there's an extended sequence of them crossing a log. Then they find uh, some rocks uh, uh, piled in the, in the trees and on the ground. And that night, like, spirits are kind of up. It's like, hey, we found a thing. We found this cemetery that we were looking uh, looking for. And while they're filming that night, one of the stone piles gets disturbed. And I believe that's actually uh, Josh that knocks it over, right? Yes, I believe that is correct. And uh, later that night, they start to hear... Sounds out in the woods. And it's just sort of like limbs cracking. It's not exactly footsteps. It's just odd cracking and knocking sounds out in the woods. Typical, really creepy wood noises. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the next day, Mike is freaking out about all this because now that they've seen, uh, you know, this these disturbed rock piles and the sounds th- that happen uh that night um he's he's like you know hey if it's a bunch of guys i don't i don't want to play with that and if it's something else i don't want to play with that either so how about we just get the fuck out of here and she's like no 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 all right we're gonna head back and what we've got to do is we've got a curve around we're not going back the way we came because we were doing this route to hit coffin rock and then come to here so now we're gonna go off trail again and head and beeline straight for the car Right, and, and that actually makes sense. It 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 does. The question always is, and I don't think there's a clear answer: is <laughs> okay. is whether Heather really knows where she's going. You know, if she's if if she's a little bit wrong about some stuff, that's one thing. But if she is wholly reading this map wrong and just getting them lost, because they do ultimately find the shit that they're looking for mostly. Right. And, and at a certain point, especially from this point on in the film, you can make the argument that them being lost is the witch fucking with it. And that, that's the side of the fence that I fall on. I, I think
4: that, you know, this is now stepped almost wholly into a supernatural realm.
0: Yes. I agree. Okay. we're So we're all on board with the fact that maybe Heather isn't the bad guy that a lot of people make her out to be. No. Right. Okay, Mike's talking about getting the DAT back, which is the audio device and uh, digital audio tape, and Josh (laughs) is is, is like, hey, I gotta be at work tomorrow, and things are just getting grim, and they can't find their way back to the car, and they have to camp again, and that night, we get more noises. And they seem closer this time. Right, it's for real, no question, something seems to be out there.
3: And focused on them. Yes. Right. Because noises in general is one thing, but when they seem like they're following you or, you know, closing in on you, that's another thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. The next morning, there are now stones in front of the tent. And at this point, Josh is kind of over it, too. Well, you, there are three piles in front of the tent. That's yeah. right. One one for each of them. Uh,
3: uh-huh. You should never have disturbed this dope stones to begin with right but is
0: is that really it or is it just like well it could have been any excuse really the fact that they were out there at all you know
4: um true i I, I don't know i I, because just following uh horror film logic that does seem like the sin to me like they go out there tempting it but once they actually disturbed one of the rocks
0: piles that
4: seems like the sin that sets everything in motion to me
0: agreed agreed yeah and not to be the nerd about it i'm just saying like well if if that's the case then i think by the time you get to the 2016 blair witch i'm not sure that that's the same like what is that sin you know what i mean like they just Mm -hmm. go into the woods right
4: well they, they they try and twist it a little bit but it could also be we could follow the exact same logic that they just crossed into her territory and spent
0: the night. Right. And, and they were fucked from that point. Right. And I, although I would kind of like it more if it were like, no, if you go in and just be respectful, you're fine. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to marry the logic of all the movies in my head. And right, sometimes right. that's easier said than done. <laughs> but
3: Agreed. But I think there is a certain amount of it that if you're dealing with a situation of if you had someone out there who was actually engaging in some sort of witchcraft, whatever magic, you just respect that you leave it alone. That's all it is. They won't bother you. If you leave them alone.
4: Yeah. It's when
3: you start fucking with it, that sorry, no, have to fuck back.
4: Right. And you know, we could just say that these, these two films, Blair Witch Project and Blair Witch are directly tied. And, Basically, from the mythology stated in the original film, nothing has really happened since Rustin apart in the 40s. So maybe the original sin stirred everything back up. So in 2016, just crossing into her territory was enough. She was already agitated.
0: Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm only going to fight so hard uh, (laughs) on the rock thing. Uh, So... (laughs) Back back to the, the movie at hand, the map has gone missing. And Josh is furious at Heather because he's like, what the fuck? You Why did you lose the... Like, how are we going to get out now? You lost the map. Even if you couldn't read it, I could. And Mike just... Uh, his his uh, theory is like, we'll just follow the creek. And everybody finally just reaches a place of, of zen where they're like let's just all agree we're not getting out of here tonight. We're not going to get this shit back in time. I'm going to be late for work. The dad's not going to be back. It's but we're we're all no more blaming anyone. We just need to get out of here.
4: Is it this also the point or the day where they ended up walking in a complete circle? Yes.
0: Right. And and also this is where Mike reveals that he is he kicked the map into the creek
4: but we also get a hint that you know there's supernatural forces at work here because they were going oh god due east the entire day and they ended up in a circle yeah
3: right right which you see that carry throughout the films throughout the books this whole idea of once you cross over into this you know whether it's okay, you fucked up in the witch's space and so she's fucking with you or you just entered the woods. It's still the fact of the witch has this influence and screws with a space-time continuum. Right. Because you have people losing track of time and their bearings and it's just something that you see over and over throughout all of the materials.
0: Yeah, and it's some of my favorite stuff in these movies is the idea that sort of space and time is getting fucked with
3: just it could have been a little bit more cut and dry of oh there was a, just a cursed witch you know witch gonna out there that's gonna kill you or something but no the fact that she's gonna fuck with you and like where and like getting you lost and all these different things and okay you don't know what time it is or where you are you know all this and just confuse you.
4: It almost seems like it falls into like possession or poltergeist kind of rules where they have to break you down enough. Where, you know, not yeah. only is it enough to kill you, we have to mentally break you down mm-hmm. first. And, and you, you guys are both right. I absolutely love that aspect of this that you, you can't trust anything. You can't trust your perception of direction, time, anything. It, it's, it's all out the window.
1: What, and
3: you see it more in the second one is this sense of whose version of the story is reality and who sees what's true. And because no one no one knows what is correct here, because each of them has their moment of clarity and each of them has their moment where they're just completely out of it and you know, or in some trance type state. Even in this first one, where you see that they're just walking or walking, but you see each person has their own kind of, you know, peaks and valleys and and everything.
0: Sure, like everybody takes a turn at being the hero and the bad guy amongst exactly. these three, and and it's you're right, it, it's kind of refreshing that no one is purely a villain here, especially mm-hmm. as as things go on. Um, and in fact, the next scene, folks. Uh we have the hanging wooden sculptures. Get out
1: of here now. Yeah, please.
4: Okay, I've got everything on video, man. Oh Jesus Christ, I didn't even fucking see these, man.
0: Uh that they run across, which is one of the creepiest scenes in the movie, I think. The uh um, yeah. like when they run across this and then you hear Mike just screaming for help of yeah. like why not? what could it hurt, you know? Help!
4: Please help us! Yeah, and even at the end of the scene where they're just begging Heather to leave and you can tell that she is just so compelled and fascinated with this that she can't. You get her real obsession with this story that drove her to make this documentary.
3: And it's not even just, oh, I'm so obsessed and into this thing that maybe want to do this project, it's the fact of, I'm so under the spell of the right. witch. I'm so under the spell of the woods.
0: Later that night, they're camping again, and this time they hear kids giggling, which is eh, about the most horrifying sound they hear in the woods. Uh, and it's fucking creepy. Yes! Hello! <laughs> I can handle cackling more than I can handle
3: little kids giggling, just like out of nowhere
4: yeah in the middle of the night say you know three o'clock in the morning that waking you up outside your tent yes yeah try not pissing yourself <laughs> <gasps>
0: Yeah, I it's one of the more terrifying things to me in the whole movie. And especially as I not was not just because
1: like, it's
3: children, but
0: <laughs> it was just giggling in, in any giggling at night from a source that you can't identify is yeah. uncomfortable. The fact that it's children's giggling also doesn't help. And yes. at, as I was listening to this to kind of, you know, pull some audio here and there, this was the one that was just like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> um, this is unsettling and uh but so as, as they're <laughs> terrified by the sound of all this giggling the tent starts to get shaken and and they take off running they end up uh there there's a nice moment where you hear heather screaming what the fuck is that and uh <laughs> it turns out i think it was the cameraman in a like a white sheet essentially that you never see um, <laughs> uh which i i thought was funny and they basically just huddle by a tree and wait till the sun comes up and are just like, oh, let's hope nothing comes and kills us. Uh, but when they get back to camp, they find that Josh's shit has been messed up. Like his, his stuff is scattered everywhere and uh, things are missing. And the slime. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's got a little Ghostbuster slime on it. And uh, we come back to the question of why is Heather filming? And this is, again, you know, uh, for being the movie that invented so many of these tropes, it has one of the best explanations for this, which is more philosophical than anything, which is Josh saying, I understand why you do this because it's not quite reality. and, And you can handle it better. By looking right. through the camera. And yeah. I, I think that's perfectly reasonable. I, it makes sense for the character. I, it makes everything that happens with the camera understandable as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, 100%.
4: This see why you like this video camera so much. You do? It's not quite reality.
0: Uh, Josh yeah. has a good old-fashioned freak out here. As you do when a ghost <laughs> has trashed your shit. Well,
3: you know. It happens.
0: Yeah, and that
4: that ectoplasm is not going to wash out.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, you you can't shout it out. It, it, the the <laughs> ectoplasm version version of shout would be called shriek.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know Bill Murray's character from Ghostbusters is selling
0: that. Sure, Doctor Ringman's <laughs> official shriek fabric <laughs> softener. Um. So this is the point where they realize they've gone in a circle um actually uh no, and and they exactly. and they don't want to camp again cuz they're just like let's just keep going I'm like what's the point like the thing with Josh and Heather comes to a head here where he goes off on her and steals the camera from her is like how do you like it how do you like it like mike has to be the voice of reason here speaking of people getting their turns like he's had his freak out now he's just like look this is fucked up like we can't we can't turn on each other like this is all it's too gnarly for us to be fighting amongst ourselves yeah uh but that night they're camping in essentially the same place that they did the night before and the next morning josh is gone uh they they look for him but they can't find him anywhere and then they're just camping again and they they have this kind of resigned conversation where it's just like you know i th- this is probably it kind of thing like it's grim uh and and this right before we plunge into the kind of madness of the end of the movie it's
4: the part in the film where you know we're we're taking a turn. Yeah, things have been bad so
0: far, but now it's about to get worse. Right. You start to remember that's like, oh yes, they're all missing. Right. <laughs> like no one's getting out of this.
3: Right. Yeah. No. You know. You know. Things are just getting ready to go horribly, horribly
1: wrong. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. So, they're teetering on the cliff right now. And and to nudge them off into oblivion. <laughs> that night they hear josh screaming and then the next morning there's a bundle of sticks outside the tent uh tied with part of josh's shirt and it's uh some some teeth yeah and uh that's not cool no that's that's fucking horrifying
3: oh uh, yeah because you know what human teeth look like
0: yeah <laughs> uh it's... So she kind of hides this from from Mike because I guess no reason to upset him anymore. (laughs) And and then we have this, you know, the classic moment from the Blair Witch Project that was parodied infinitely of Heather doing the close up shot and her making these admissions that, you know, everything had to be my way. I'm the one responsible for this. And uh, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry to Mike's parents and Josh's parents and to my own parents and all that stuff. And I still think it's effective. I think it's a raw performance. I think Heather Donahue was actually really good in this.
2: I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. And I'm sorry to everyone. I was very naive. I am so, so sorry for everything that has happened. Because in spite of what Mike says now, it is my fault. Because it was my project. And I insisted. I insisted on everything. I insisted that we weren't lost. I insisted that we keep going. I insisted that we walk south. Everything had to be my way. And this is where we've ended up. And it's all because of me that we're here now. Hungry. And cold. And hunted. I love you, Mom. And Dad.
1: So sorry. What is that? I'm scared
2: to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them.
4: Oh it 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 gets parody and so many people make fun of it but watching it in the moment it's great. Yeah. You really feel for her character.
3: No, it's 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 very effective.
0: And so now uh they hear some sounds that they think could be Josh and they start running toward them and there is a house and Mike uh is, runs inside, uh Heather is is chasing after and it's you know, it it's mayhem. It's them running around this house that has children's handprints all over the walls, along with the uh, the Futhark runes. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Leading up to Mike going into the the basement ahead of Heather, uh, she chases him downstairs, sees him turned around in the corner, a la the stories of Rust and Parr, and uh, then uh the camera she appears to be struck by something and the camera falls to the ground and, and that is it. Yeah. End of film. E- end of end of film. Um and you know, as we as we discussed before, I think this is incredibly effective as a horror film. Uh I think it's still really scary. I agree. A hundred percent. Um
4: which is why you know, it came up when I was talking to David. It came up talking to you. Uh, I'm uh, a big fan of this film, so it, it, I still think it's incredibly effective.
3: No, I agree too. I, uh, I obviously it's not the surprise that it, you know when you first see it, but still, it it is definitely still unsettling. Um, like you said, that that last that last fifteen whatever minutes of it um what else was i gonna never mind i'm sure i'll i'll jamie it and think about it in like 20 minutes but
0: okay go on (laughs) all right so uh one holdover oh i
3: know what i wanted to say
0: (laughs) (laughs) perfect sorry well done go on
3: (laughs) so i wanted to talk about how much money this made (laughs) the shit ton of money this movie made
0: Yeah, yeah, to the tune of $248.6 million. Um, On a
3: budget of $60,000.
0: Yeah. 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 So, right. Right. And again, you know, the creators of the film themselves have often said uh, it should never have been this big. It was never meant to be that kind of movie. This was not a blockbuster film and and one of the reasons i think it's much maligned is that idea of like well anybody could do this it's like nah fuck you no this is done with a great like a high degree of difficulty in terms of how they crafted the film from essentially an improv piece and and how effective it is at you know the the pacing of this movie is is quite good um but yeah it it's it is both the blessing and curse of this movie is that it made 248.6 million dollars right oh uh, absolutely and you
4: talking about the runtime i I mean that's something they worked on i believe that uh ed still has a, a version uh ed sanchez sorry still has a version that is two and a half hours long
0: is that just the wood stuff or is that where it cuts in with the documentary stuff
4: no, 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 no. The original cut uh, is actually about two and a half hours and they just, like reality TV, pared it down and saw who interacted best and, and just really spliced it to keep it moving and everything. And it there was a lot of uh, more exposition. Uh, a lot of the stuff that ended up in the documentary or the curse uh, was in it, but they, they just kind of exercised it and and decided to make it its own thing and and just really streamlined this film to really just go straight for the jugular, you know, just keep it lean and towards the the central story and the scares.
3: And I do think that the editing shows and is why it works too so well. You've got a nice little what 80, 81 minutes here. That's all you need.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this movie keeps it tight and right. Like this is the cinematic equivalent of a good, fa- uh, like nose job or something.
3: <laughs> I mean, it's nice to have the the curse as like the companion piece, you know, as to give you your exposition ahead of time. But no, this here keeps it all contained. You didn't need more footage of them out in the woods, in my opinion. Just lost that could have gotten boring. Right. So this is nice and tight and um, yeah.
4: And yep. I think even without the curse, you have enough of the story that you can piece it all together in your head. Oh, absolutely. you don't need the full background. So
3: absolutely. Yeah. No, which I, I think was difficult. You know, it was a good balance that they, that they did.
0: All right. So the one thing we are going to do on uh, this episode that we do on uh, every episode is we're going to, we're going to rate the three big movies here. So Blair Witch Project, OG Blair Witch, scale of one to five half stars are allowed, not quarter stars. We are not monsters. Uh, John, what would you rate the Blair Witch Project?
4: See, I I went back and forth a little bit with myself on this, and then I I just I I had to actually stop and think. I mean, this is not the first found footage film, but this is the iconic kind of landmark found footage film that really popularized the genre. You know, when when you say found footage, this is one of the first things that come to any true horror fan's mind. And I only say that because anyone that's only kind of a horror fan is probably going to think of the most recent thing that they're aware of. But it, it's not only that. I mean, this one, it gets everything right about that subgenre. Uh, it It's just, I think it's in part due to how ballsy and genius the filmmaking behind it is um but it it's also just a landmark in cinema period uh it, it feels very personal um it almost comes off as voyeuristic at times and it's tension filled the mystery it's frightening I mean I absolutely love this film uh it's five
0: stars for me well done sir quite an argument <laughs> uh Vanessa what what say you
3: yeah mm, I um, see I I don't like found footage. Like, I, I... Okay. I like some of it. But as a <laughs> genre, I'm not... I mean, a subgenre. it's not usually my thing. And... But this does so many things right. But still, it doesn't give me enough of what I want to really, like, say, oh, I love this movie. And... Uh, Mm, I think probably, i go back and, because you won't let me give
0: a quarter star.
1: (laughs) Nope.
3: (laughs) I'm going to have to give it a four.
0: Okay. All right. I'm going to split the difference and say a four and a half. The only reason is because I find a couple of uh, the performances to be just off enough that it breaks the illusion a little bit for me it's almost a perfect movie um but you know it's still a little rough around the edges and all that stuff i wish some of the the audio was a little bit better here and there um but it's
3: and and i i watch it sometimes and i see it as a 4.5 but that's why i'm like eh. yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it, not quite there on a regular basis for me though
4: you yeah. see and and i get both of you guys' argument, um, and I even said that I went back and forth, uh, but the thing that it came down to me when I was sitting here to write my scores was, if it's not a five, what would you change? And I went through my mind, it's like I can't think of a single thing that I would say I would change that. So I had to give it a five.
0: Right. No, I look, you don't have to sweet talk me. It, that... It, you tell me Blair Witch Project is a five star movie. I'm not the man that's going to argue with that. Uh, but <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I, I got I got my nitpicks with it, but I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. It, it's a it's a tremendous film. So, following the success of the Blair Witch Project, the Blair Witch Project: A Dossier was released in September of 1999. Devised by author Dave Stern as another piece of marketing slash cashing in on a good thing, the book continues to perpetuate the idea that everything you see in the Blair Witch Project happened. Stern compiled information from the website, especially the backgrounds of the presumed missing students, and built out a series of documents that traced the investigation of Buck Buchanan and even dipped into the personal diary of Heather Donahue. The result is a collection of a fake paper trail leading to the disappearance of the kids as well as the ensuing investigation. Uh, look on the heels of the Blair Witch Project, though, uh, because it made two hundred and forty eight point six million dollars. As it turned out, <laughs> they decide that they're going to uh, capitalize on this a little bit. And in September of of this year, um, not this year, but the year of uh, the Blair Witch Project's release, um, the Blair right the Blair Witch Project a yep. dossier is released in uh, in September and this is um uh, written by Dave Stern uh or his sort of kind of pseudonym DA Stern cuz it gets a little weird in the next dossier um <laughs> but it's uh it's basically one of them uh a uh, companion books what uh has stuff like hey uh there's this guy named Buck Buchanan who's a private detective hired by Heather's mother to investigate the case and look into things like here's a description of the soil <laughs> you know that was uh, uh where like the the videotapes were found and so it lends authenticity uh to the fact that it you know they were found and not planted and and that kind of thing and um I like I read this did John did you read this one oh absolutely okay and then Vanessa I'm pretty sure you did as well yes okay yes. so to me the big takeaway from like like all of that stuff is kind of fun it's I, I would call it kind of interesting toilet reading the the, <laughs> <laughs> the the only thing I found like oh this is a really cool little facet of the story that this sort of expands on from the movie and curse of the Blair witch and so forth was the idea that, uh, so Heather's journal is part of the, the dossier and there is a thing in her journal where she talks about how, uh, I think it was her father used to tell her the story of the Blair witch and that she was sort of sending out vibes uh you know that uh lending her energy to the blair witch to uh um you know attempt to to make contact and and to explore the the legend of the blair witch and so forth and i thought that was kind of neat that it was just like oh yeah she's she was kind of asking for it before she ever went out there right yes um
4: and another thing about the dossier that i really liked is that um it, it clearly spells out that she did scout the entire trip and she or I'm sorry, not only did they scout the entire trip, but uh, I believe uh, during the film, the kids are out there for uh, five days or seven. I can't remember. I want to say seven, right?
0: Uh, I, I, I think it's actually less than that, but I don't I don't know the exact count off the top of my head.
4: And, and see, I, I can't remember either. But um, if you pay attention in the book uh, before the film ends in the number of days, uh, there's already search parties out there looking for them, according to the book, because it's at like day three or four. There's search parties out there, whereas the film, it goes they're out there for five or seven days. And I'm sorry, I can't remember correctly. I want to
0: say it's five. That feels right to me because it's not. I, I think it's five. I would that's where my money would go anyway it doesn't matter so I want
3: to say five but I don't remember
0: offhand yeah sorry at any rate uh but yeah it's (laughs) uh there there are a lot of fun little details like that I don't know would you guys call this required reading or is there enough in there that makes it worth it on its own if you're not particularly invested in the Blair Witch mythology, I
4: if you're not particularly invested, um, I mean, if you don't watch the Blair Witch and, and just blown away by it, if you're not watching it every year or something like that, no this this book's not for you. But if you're if you're like me and considering a five star review of it, I I would say it, it's worth picking up to kind of dive a little deeper into that universe.
3: I don't think it's required, but I do think it's interesting. And I'm not even someone who is like, oh, it's five-star movie. I, again, it's, I find it, the way it does expand this mythos, I find, I find that fascinating. And that's part of what as many crazy books as there are, I've kind of enjoyed is seeing that there are that many. <laughs> I don't know if I would have gone down this route on my own, though.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Sure, sure.
3: You never know. I didn't know. Honestly, I had no idea there were this many books and comics and video games and whatever else. Like, it, it's just, there's a lot of media surrounding this story and
0: character. So before we leave the original film all together... There is a final bit of video uh, called Sticks and Stones, an exploration of the Blair Witch legend. This is also available on YouTube. Um, so uh, what's worth mentioning about uh, said Sticks and Stones is that it was released with uh, the VHS uh, of the Blair Witch. It was sort of a like bonus feature kind of thing. Um, it was a half hour. It's a lot of alternate takes from curse of the blair witch and it covers a lot of the same material the one thing i will mention about it uh because of the hometown favorite there's a bit of a shout out to the uh t- bell witch of tennessee which is literally right down the road from me uh, in terms of local superstitions and uh you know it's it, it's like when um foreigner comes to town and it's like <laughs> Good. How's everybody doing tonight, Nashville? And you're like, woo! That's where I live. (laughs) That's that's how I felt about them, like name checking Bell Witch and this. Like, woo! That's that's our haunted witch.
3: Well, that's the kind of legend that was the inspiration, like at the root of this product. I mean, this this whole movie. Right,
0: right, and were
3: legends like that,
0: and which I adore. I still. Somewhere around here, I've got, like, a, this book I got at the Bellwitch gift shop when I was, I don't know, like, <laughs> nine. And uh, and it's still one of my favorite things. It's got a real shitty drawing of a ghost lady on the back of it that I really adore. Um, <laughs> of course it does. Yeah. I oh, always do. Oh, it's so cheap, but it's so good. It's, like, there are misspellings all through it and that kind of thing. It's it just... <laughs> You know, the uh, just smacks of authenticity, you know, um, at any rate. So, but that, but that was kind of where the Blair Witch was laid to rest for the time. Given the success of the Blair Witch Project, it was a coup for any pay channel to get the rights to subsequent home video. Showtime picked up the premium cable rights and Artisan, the production company now in the Blair Witch business wanted a video package to go along with the cable release, both to generate excitement for the original's new home on television and to begin the buzz for the upcoming sequel Artisan was busy at work to release. After The Curse of the Blair Witch had become one of the most popular shows to ever air on the Sci-Fi channel, Artisan wanted to keep with the faux-documentary vibe, and they hired Ben Rock, a production designer of the original film, to take over duties as the documentarian. What he created was an expansion of the mythology surrounding Rust and Parr. Much like the uh, Blair Witch Project, five days before the release of Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, the Sci-Fi Channel aired a mockumentary entitled The Massacre of the Burkittsville Seven, The Blair Witch Legacy. Now, um, th- either of you see this one, when it uh when it originally aired because I don't know that I did
3: I don't remember when I first saw this. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I don't remember if, I probably saw it ahead of time but yeah I don't I, I vaguely remember it
0: you know part of the problem too is that uh massacre of the Burkittsville seven uh, landed in October of 2000. Originally it was going to promote the Showtime premiere of, uh, Blair Witch Project. And this delved way more into the case of Rustin Parr, uh, which uh, of course was the dude what killed all the, uh, all the kids in the forties in the, uh, Blair Witch mythology. And it's theorized in this one that there was this kid named Kyle Brody, that was a survivor of the murders who ended up in an institution and he may have uh, himself been involved with those murders. It, it says that after Rustin Parr was hanged, that Brody grew up like super screwed up and then eventually just killed himself. And the idea is that maybe he, you know the suggestion is that maybe he was guided uh he he was kind of the possessed brains of the outfit sort of thing um and it's it this is where it gets into a situation where like this doesn't feel as authentic and so it's just kind of goofy in a way and it's also a piece of the mythology that doesn't ever really rear its head again it's just like hey here was this kid i mean it does but only in some peripheral material here and there but never as part of the movies or anything like that really and i i don't know that of all the the sort of supplemental supplemental uh video stuff are in and around the blair witch project i don't know that this is one I would necessarily recommend. I, I found it to be uh, a, a little dumb. Well, even uh, Mr. D.A. Stearns
4: kind of mocks its quality in one of his later books.
0: Right. Well, yeah, we'll get to that dossier. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know, Vanessa. I mean, do you have anything redeeming to say about it? Otherwise, we're just going to be like, yeah, it's not. Very good, and move on.
3: No, you're right. It's. I mean, like I said, I've seen it before. I didn't rewatch it for this, but it, it was pretty forgettable. So <laughs> obviously, it didn't have enough there. That really with the mythos that I was like, okay, yeah. And I mean, it it didn't add anything. Really, add anything. So yeah. no, I don't feel like I don't feel like. It, I mean, if you really love these so much and really want to be a completionist, go ahead and see it. But I otherwise I would just say you can get by without it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm with you. Unlike the previous film's marketing campaign, when it came time to unveil the sequel to the Blair Witch Project, the marketing machine spun up. The previous marketing plans with the original Blair Witch were so wildly successful, there was little desire to reinvent the wheel. The film itself would be unlike the original in that Haxon Films, aka the original film's creators, would not be involved. Artisan wanted a sequel on the quick, but Haxon wanted to let the fervor from the original die down, the exact opposite of Striking While the Iron Was Hot. So Artisan pulled in documentarian Joe Berlinger to direct the sequel. Berlinger was known for his work on true crime documentaries. 1992's Brother's Keeper, and 1996's Paradise Lost, The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills, were landmark films, the latter being the beginning of a trilogy of controversial documentaries. Book of Shadows, then, would be his first feature film. Of the film, Berlinger said, I thought of a more interesting way of connecting Blair Witch 2 to the documentary tradition would be to try to make a movie that tells a story, like a good documentary does, that is infused with social commentary Because that is what a documentary is. A documentary is not about shaking the camera around, it's about telling a story that has social commentary embedded in it. He spent time in Burkittsville during the development of the screenplay and interviewed many of the locals about the experience of being at the epicenter of a cultural phenomenon. Berlinger wanted to examine the effects of media and what he referred to as lazy consumption of information and how that might drive fanaticism to very dark places. While the movie was stylistically and thematically different from the original Blair Witch, Artisan still rolled out another of Dave Stern's dossier compilations, this time entitled Book of Shadows, like the sequel film. On October 18th, nine days ahead of the sequel's release, a three-day Blair Witch webfest began online, featuring contributions from Marilyn Manson and others. On the heels of this online event, The sci-fi channel aired Shadow of the Blair Witch, another fake documentary to help promote the film, just as Curse of the Blair Witch had done only a year before. Uh, Let's turn our attention then to um, the documentary that preceded, or not documentary, the mockumentary, (laughs) um, which uh, preceded uh, uh, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, which was uh, Shadow of the Blair Witch, and uh shadow of the blair witch um once again five days before book of shadows opens and it tells us the uh, the premise is that this is the documentary about the real guy that blair witch 2 is based on so we're already doing this kind of film within a film sort of thing that will carry through to um Uh, the film itself but okay so here's the thing the jig is kind of upright like everyone knows that that the Blair Witch is not a real thing right and so I don't know that even this format works very well and also I don't know that it's a great companion piece to the movie but then again what on earth? faux documentary ever would be a good companion to Blair Witch 2.
4: I think really the only way you could do anything for that with this is to WNUF it and really just do like a a videotaped news segment that was discussing the crimes. And much past that, I I don't know how you really do anything with this. I mean, you, you do like a news segment that's discussing... The influence of the first one, and then what happened, and, and you have to keep it vague though because you're pumping this one up. I, fuck man, I don't I don't know how you do it.
3: <laughs> I don't think it's necessary.
4: Yeah, yeah. That's... When you,
3: when you go the route of the second one, it, and it, you're not filming it in that same way, you know, the same way, same. I I just don't think it works as well you could have something afterwards but i don't think you can have anything like previewing it
0: yeah it just yeah it it doesn't fit the movie that it's supposed to be hyping it's it's not real good on its own um yeah it it just feels like a pale imitation of the really cool curse of the blair witch doc uh that well, is the totally big, worthwhile the big difference
4: is is the curse of the Blair Witch was made by the guys that made the Blair Witch project. Right. So right. a lot of the mythos and a lot of the people behind it were really just putting so much into that, whereas this one it does feel like a pale imitation because it was just well shit, they did it the first time, let's do it again. And that's really what it comes off as.
0: Speaking of let's do it again. <laughs> let's talk about Book of Shadows Blair
4: Witch 2. Why is it called Book of Shadows when there's no Book of Shadows in it?
0: It's kind of a cool title, I suppose.
3: Well, (laughs) there is not an actual. Well, yes, there is, I think, a Book of Shadows or Grimmer. Because you have the Wiccan character and the points where she's chanting the certain, uh, I think, uh, Persephone chants.
4: Mm -hmm. Right. and
3: everything. She's got everything laid out there, and I think she has a book.
4: Okay. Uh, it would uh, stand to is. reason
3: if, if, <laughs> yeah, she would have some, some sort of grim war grim with her when she's preparing to do whatever.
4: Okay, okay. I, uh, uh, That's a right.
3: possibility. I, yeah. I, I'm not saying I remember off the top of my head if she had one, but I thought she did.
4: Yeah. Not, with not all not her
3: other t- magical accoutrements.
4: Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and I'm sorry I wanted to start it off that way, and not to tip my hand too much, but I I feel like with this film there's a lot of missed
0: potential. I never saw this in the theater. I only saw this when it hit home video. Did did you guys see this in the theater? No. No. Yeah, because uh, smoke on the street when when this movie came out was like mm-hmm, no, and. <laughs> so the movie got a lot of bad buzz um but i also like obviously the studio wanted a sequel to Blair Witch Project because of all the money it made but it doesn't feel like there was a real clear vision of what this movie was supposed to be or perhaps the execution uh is is just not what (laughs) what the philosophy of the film uh w- was trying to get at anyway let's get into this movie because it's fucking weird <laughs>
3: well the problem is it you have a struggle between what the filmmakers were were working on it you know and producers where they what people wanted you know
4: right they it, agreed upon it they got a film and then they're like wait we agreed to this oh <laughs> well, yeah. let's change this
3: exactly yeah. and then it it comes out because it was Anyway, go ahead. S- start. Uh, right. Yeah, no. We, I mean, we'll you're right. Th-
0: this movie is clearly a victim of studio interference. But even if the studio hadn't interfered, also what the? Um, because the base movie that's here, even if you expanded it, is still weird as fuck compared to what the like where we started with. The movie before was this tiny little movie about kids lost in the woods. All right, so when we open this movie, it's sort of this pop culture: was it or was it not real? Like Kurt Loader is right there, front and center, from MTV News, being like, "Blair Witch Project was it real?" And we we get our first uh, hints that there our main character Jeffrey, played by Burn, notices Jeffrey Donovan, I think. Yeah. Um, also, how many times do you get to say Burn notices whoever? <laughs> uh, well when mentioning him.
3: Megan Markle? Wasn't she on burn notice?
0: <laughs> Was she?
3: Was that her show I don't
0: know. What's
3: that other one? I don't know. One of those shows on the same network. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Oh, now I got Meghan Markle on the brain. We we've got our local law enforcement who's Sheriff Cravens, and he's none too pleased about the influx of Blair Witch inspired tourists. Uh, and you get to see him with a a megaphone. Yelling, "There ain't no goddamn Blair Witch. Go on Which, home."
4: Did did they move locations? Are we suddenly in the south or something? I mean, I what the fuck? Get out of these
1: woods and go home. There is no
0: goddamn Blair Witch. But <clears throat> but here's the thing: like this is not found footage. This is a, a They were in the south
3: to begin with.
0: Maryland is eh, it's kinda it's south. The, it's the border. It's the yeah. border right yeah, there. Yeah, you no, you're I, not right.
4: I guess. I just when I think of Maryland, I don't think of I know. People I like Mr. Craven here. God damn sons of bitches, get out of my woods. What? There ain't no freaking witch out here. Ugh. I don't
3: know, the really? rule shit sometimes. <laughs> it's
0: <laughs> He's sort of the crazy Ralph. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> A little bit.
0: Um So, uh, we meet our heroes who are on a tour of Blair Witch Landmarks with Jeffrey as the guide. Uh, we've got Steven and Tristan who are working on a book, um, about the, the Blair Witch phenomenon. We have Erica who is the Wiccan. And then you have Kim who's the goth girl. And then it turns out that Jeffrey and, and co, this is his first tour that he's giving it and uh they're going to go to the ruins of rustin parr's house uh as their their first stop On, on the hike uh erica sniffs out that tristan is preggers and uh i mean don't get excited doesn't mean that much at the end of the day
2: so how far along are you what do you mean the baby how many weeks six you don't want to keep it do you no but Stephen wants the baby. Yes. How do you know? I don't know. So what are you gonna do? I don't know.
0: And then they get to the par ruins, and then there's a magic tree that wasn't there before. And or it was there, but it was a little twig of a tree, and then it's all of a sudden it's giant. And then Erica and uh Tristan have a chat about ellie kedward so we're we're at least leaning into the original mythology that that once upon a time there was a woman named ellie kedward who was uh, accused of being a witch and driven out of uh what was blair at the time and left to die in the woods and she cursed the town
2: so what are you really doing communing with ellie kedward the blair witch I thought you embraced nature, not evil. No, you don't understand. Ellie was a good witch. I mean, she was an Earth child, like me. She's gonna be my mentor. You've spoken with her? Not yet.
0: Jeffrey is, uh, you know, on the hunt for anything supernatural-like. And, ha- and rattles off, you know, the list of cameras uh, he's got. And then, uh, Stephen kind of poses the theme of the film, which is the idea of uh, the creation of myth. That by believing in a thing, you sort of create a thing. Um, The the Tulpa effect. The Tulpa effect. Very much so. If you're a fan of Twin Peaks, this will be very familiar uh, to you. And the story of this movie, to me, is there are a lot of interesting ideas. And this is one of them. Um, and the idea that the Blair Witch wasn't real until they made a movie and then all of a sudden people believed in the Blair Witch is an interesting idea. It just also contradicts the idea of like, here's this history of the Blair Witch. They're kind of hanging out at Rustin Parr's house and everybody's, uh, having some beers and a good time. Jeffrey proposes a documentary on, uh, Kim and being goth. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, Vanessa, do you want to uh, like? What is your take on both? Because <laughs> they're they're kind of like hitting you with the one-two punch of here's a Wiccan character and a Goth character. When why and they're so not you the come same. to me? Yeah, you're goddamn right. I do.
3: <laughs> um. Right. Well, that's that's part of why you have me around. Well. <sighs> Yeah, that's true. They could have just made them the same character, like combined into one person. But um, I guess they feel somehow that they need to have an odd number of people.
4: I don't know. Well, I, I think with the two as well, they f- it feels like they're hoping for a red herring in there, that you're going to lean towards
0: one of them.
3: Right, and maybe that's, maybe that's it. But, but
0: a red herring for who the witch is? I guess.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, or who the, who's the supposed killer is at the end of the day.
0: Right, yeah. See, this is where we get into trouble, because it's like, maybe, um, I don't know. Uh, so while they're out there uh, farting around uh, at, at Russapar's place, um, another tour group shows up and they get rid of them by uh, our, our group, our tour group, gets rid of the other tour group by inventing a story about like, oh, we saw some weird shit at Coffin Rock. And they're like, well, we're going to go check it out. And so our group continues to party and they're having themselves an old-fashioned forest sin party.
4: And I, <laughs> I like that even the pregnant one is
0: pounding down some booze. Oh, sure. Well, she's oh, not. Oh, yeah doesn't seem real crazy about the idea of being pregnant in the first place, but
3: yeah, exactly.
0: Um, it's
3: also, she's early on.
0: And we, we, we get some flashes in here because it's, you know, early two thousands at this point. And so we have to have some, some quick, like nine inch nails editing in here. And so we do, and it, it looks like some violent shit is, uh, going on. And when they wakey wakey the next morning, the it like the the sky is filled with floating confetti and tristan has had a dream of a dead baby in the river that's pretty creepy and uh that she killed right that yeah, she murders it's almost
4: like a sacrifice
3: mhm
0: well that's not nice
3: <laughs> wow. well
4: well uh, you don't even really get that it's a baby she wades out with something in her arms and then as she holds it down blood comes up and you hear a baby screaming
0: yeah so, and it, it's a pretty creepy scene, really. It just doesn't really come to anything. No. And... Well, that could be said a lot in this film. Right. And, I mean, uh, you know, a yeah. constant chorus in this movie is going to be like, this is cool, but uh, what does it have to do with anything else in the movie? Um. So they they also realize Stephen and Tristan realize that the the confetti is actually floating bits of uh their their notes uh for the book that they're writing also all of Jeffrey's cameras are missing, but they have a theory that like Kim uh is like no, the tapes are all still here, and she leads them to some uh rocks in the foundation where the tapes are in fact discovered from their you know sin party and and so the movie is kind of set up as this grand mystery of hey what happened while these characters were blacked out we're kind of detoured though real quick because we have to go to the hospital right like there's this whole sudden miscarriage storyline yeah which is like i i guess if you're looking at this in terms of well she was unwittingly or maybe knowingly making this sacrifice of her child but there's just not enough mentioned again about this later in the movie to make this feel like it connects it's just like
3: it has to be there so there can be blood in the vehicle uh, yeah I guess I mean that's the only thing I see that it's good for
0: yeah so and weirdly yeah Uh, like after it's like hey you had a miscarriage they all decide to go back to jeffrey's place to go through these tapes and figure out like well what happened and uh so and he also says like hey i've got surveillance cameras all through the house um also and it turns out that he's making a living kind of selling souvenirs and uh they start going through the videotapes found in the, you know, the Rustin Parr foundation and they see this tree, uh, you know, that they noted at the party. Only now it's a tiny little twig of a tree. Uh, and you know, like a, a a baby tree, what is growing there. And uh, again, this harkens back to the shit I like in these movies where it's like, Oh, once you go into these woods time and space get wonky, and there's some of that in this but the time stuff really doesn't matter
4: yeah it's not much of a factor here at all certainly
0: not like in the other one yeah
3: yeah no it, it certainly it but there is the sense of you have these people where they're disoriented and their perception of time and space and reality it's all askew in some way shape or form right and so when you start watch they start watching through all these videos through that you see throughout this whole thing it becomes that okay what is reality and whose version of the story is correct
1: right like
3: i mean and i know in the commentary the director refers keeps referring to the pirandello plays six characters in search of an author which and i having read that i get that but i mean it's the same thing the rashomon effect
0: right sure and in in particular it's the idea of uh film lies, video tells the truth and so the movie within the movie that we're getting here, like the movie we see, uh, you know, with Jeff, Jeffrey Donovan and all that stuff like that, <laughs> that is, uh, we, uh, as an audience are watching a movie that is telling us a lie. But anytime the movie is shot through video, we're seeing the real thing, right?
4: And that is one aspect that I still like about this film, that they they state that and then they leave it up to you to realize that what you're watching cannot be trusted. The only thing you can actually trust is the video, the video that's shot that we see. Right. God, a way of life, a documentary on you. All real, all video.
2: Video never lies, Kim film does though
3: and yes and it goes back to that whole you see it in other films but i'm thinking specifically other horror movies like night of the living dead where they're like oh let's turn on the television they'll tell us what's going on (laughs) it's this i mean seriously they say that there and you like There are other films where it's, well, I saw it on television, so, of course, it must be true. I mean, it's it's the same thing for these people, and a certain, I guess, I mean, it's the, the supposed whatever commentary that's here of how the first film was marketed and the way people consumed it You know, what are you accepting as true? And just because you're seeing it a video of this, you're believing that it's true?
0: Right. Rather
3: than something that's like a narrative film.
0: Yeah, And I guess that's the big question is if you're a fan of the Blair Witch Project, do you want the sequel to be a meta commentary (laughs) on your appreciation of the Blair Witch Project? right (laughs) you know like it's 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 not a bad idea for a movie I just don't know if it's the right idea for a sequel to this movie so so Bo if if you were the executive in
4: charge of this project and I pitched to you that we bring in an actual documentarian in who's pissed off and hates the Blair Witch to make the sequel are you gonna love that idea or are you just gonna hate and kick me out of your office,
0: I'm probably gonna ask you how much the Blair Witch project made, <laughs> and you're gonna say two hundred and forty eight point six million dollars. I'm gonna be like, how much is this gonna cost to make? three million, then make whatever the fuck you want, Who cares? <laughs> oh, he doesn't
4: like the original,
0: eh whatever, whatever it's cheap, yeah,
4: yeah,
3: and <laughs> I mean, and to have someone who is a documentarian filming this, yeah, like yeah. that's a whole. You know, I like Berlinger in his documentary work. And I like this film in its own way. In its own unique, weird little way. But, yeah, it's... I can understand why so many people hate it. It, Because if they're such fans of the original, this just isn't... It's not more of the same. And for me, I'm fine with that. But... I don't think most people are.
0: <laughs> well, but it, it's a really interesting choice. It's just not perfectly executed. And it, it, like, if this were a better movie as a whole, as a standalone film, I think I, I could appreciate it more as a follow-up to Blair Witch. Where, like, yes, we're just going to do something entirely different. My problem with it is, it does something entirely different. It just doesn't do it all that well. And it's I think it cool. thinks it's a little smarter than it is.
3: And and yes, then that's the other piece of it is is that then it's it's got potential but it's not what it
4: could be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like somebody it it's like the movie about every 15 minutes just stops to look at you and say, "Sorry man, did I just blow your mind?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> It's got that kind of attitude about it, where it's like, like right here in the film, there's this moment where we see uh, Erica, the the Wiccan character, dancing naked around the tree, and it's one of the first of those like video versus film sort of moments. And but th- that's one of those moments of like, check it out, man! Look how natural and free she's being, yo. And like it's a little too like <laughs> butterfly effect or something. It's a little. Like it's just a little too up its own ass, and uh, so it, so Kim, uh, as played by Kim Director, who is easily my favorite character in this movie because she seems like the like one least interested in being in the movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, she is like, Hey, I'm gonna go grab some beer and takes the keys to Jeffrey's VW van. And um, Erica then starts spouting creepy shit about like how they have, there's a passenger, like they brought something out of the woods with them. And uh, Kim has uh, her run in uh, with a girl behind the counter at a, at the Quickie Mart. Um,
3: I think I've met that woman before on one of my adventures around the country. <laughs> oh, I know I have. <sighs>
0: she right she's a little bit uh judgmental shall we say not a fan of mohawks i can tell you sure right and yeah so kim ultimately just throws somebody on the counter and takes her beer after threatening to rip out the worker's throat (laughs) which is pretty good
4: which is what you do
0: yeah um i'm gonna rip out your fucking throat that's what i was negotiating some gutter cleaning recently and <laughs> that was my end game how about you do it or I rip out your fucking throat so 25 an hour um so <laughs> Kim gets assaulted <laughs> by uh some locals uh when she's on the road and runs into a tree and the the van seems okay and so she just drives it back to the house but then when she gets back she finds blood on the beers. And the letter opener from the store, uh, emery board, uh, or emery board, sorry, or nail nail file, yeah, uh, is all bloody and in the bag. And it's like, uh oh, I think Kim did a naughty. <laughs> and she tells well, Jeff for
4: your first view, you have really no idea what's going on, right? It's just kind of a mind fuck. You're getting ghost kids walking backwards and
3: right. weird
4: shit like that, so.
3: Yeah, because she veers—why ha- she hits the tree is because she veers away because she thinks she's going to hit all the kids. She sees the ghosts of the kids that uh Reston Parr killed. Right. But, yeah, you also see her reach to get the beer out, and she stabs herself in the hand. So she her she's bleeding herself like she just stabbed herself. So you first time you see it, you innocently think, oh, yeah. She just stuck her nail file in there and grabbed you know, she sure right. stabbed herself.
0: Uh, but so <laughs> she tells uh, Jeffrey, like, hey, I dented your van. And um, Erica says, look, I'm going to drive Steven and Tristan into town. But suddenly uh, Erica's gone. And the van's front end looks all fucked up. And Jeffrey's like, hey, you said you dented my van. What the fuck is going on here? And so now all of a sudden it's all hands on deck to find Erica who has gone suddenly missing to the point where they just find her clothes and jewelry in a pile as if she just vanished out of them.
3: Cuz they saw the craft and they know how that trick works.
0: <laughs> right. And
3: like seriously they did <laughs> Sorry, the same I... shit in, They did the same shit in the craft.
4: That's that's true but uh
3: anyway <laughs> and it was better.
4: With this modern perception most people are going to think that thanos just snapped her away or some shit oh
0: that would be pretty good if like that (laughs) was cut into the avengers um (laughs) just see picture of erica's clothes um (laughs) so uh sheriff cravens interrupts the, the hunt for erica though to tell him to turn on your television and sure enough on television there is a video uh it should be pointed out of a bunch of bodies being discovered at Coffin Rock, uh, where the other tourist group was headed. What do you want from me? I got five corpses here. Look, I had nothing to do with that. Now, you might not have been in charge here, but I know you had something to do with it. So you and your little friends, at best just sit tight. And that means you don't leave this county till I say it's okay. And then an owl crashes through the window, uh and jeffrey is is starting to get all paranoid with erica uh missing she kind of makes a good scapegoat and everyone is kind of blaming erica or certainly jeffrey is for things getting a little batshit in the house
3: you gotta blame the witch
0: <laughs> of course well, at this like, point
3: i mean really
4: yeah at, at this point i i can't really blame him i mean
3: oh, no i mean she's <laughs> the only one not there think about it that right. way yeah so, yeah, that makes sense. But on the other hand, it's the easy one to make the scapegoat because of that. And tie the connection back to the whole Blair Witch and Ellie Kemper.
0: Steven spots Erica on the rickety old iron bridge outside above the alligator boat or whatever. And she is giving him uh, this warning about, like, you know, typical huh, witch shit. Of like, hey, you're all gonna die. And then and, and she's walking
4: backwards. Every time we see one of these apparitions, they're always
0: moving in reverse. Right. Which will come to its Scooby Doo conclusion very shortly.
1: <laughs> and
0: <laughs> and the the bridge collapses on uh poor Steven, uh, who they have to yank back inside. Um and Tristan says that she is, believes that she's looking through Ellie Kedward's eyes now, um, as if Ellie Kedward is starting to influence Tristan's behavior.
2: They did it, the little bastard boys. They did it. They hanged her, the little bastard boys. Shh, 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 shh
0: tree. They're,
2: they're not mine. They're Ellie Kedward's dreams.
0: I don't know why I'm having them. Why do you think they're Ellie Kedward's?
2: Because I'm seeing them through her eyes, tied to the tree where they banished her to. And the bad little boys from Blair Village sneaking out to the woods to see if she was still alive. And they let their big dogs bite at her, and they poked her with sticks, and then when the blood that came out of her, they put their palms in it. And pressed it on her flesh. And then, when they found she was still alive, they untied her. And they put the ropes around her neck. And they hacked her from the big
1: tree.
0: And Kim decides, hey, we should call the hospital. Uh, everybody is acting all fucking crazy, like Tristan's going nuts. We don't know where Erica is. Things are not good. Um, and then she... Like is looking, uh, I guess, for the phone, and finds all the files on all of them inside Jeffrey's desk. And when she confronts Jeffrey with this, he's like, "I have no idea where any of that came from." And in the midst of all this, Sheriff Cravens arrives outside, and like via megaphone is like, "I need you to come out so I can talk to you about all them dead people at Coffin Rock." <laughs> <laughs> Get your ass out, you boy! Don't you play possum on me, son! <laughs> you do that too well. I was a southern sheriff in a previous life. <laughs> previous life? Okay. Ho- hopefully in a later one, too. Oh, Pretty, Lord. <laughs> pretty good gig, not gonna lie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, Take a couple of kickbacks from the local brothel, fall in love with the madam, sing some songs. Wait a second, that's the best little whorehouse in Texas. uh sheriff craven's outside they discover erica all dead in a closet or locker and um after they're like what the fuck happened here this is where kim suggests that they watch the videos backwards and uh you know as the backwards ghosts implied It reveals, in fact, this orgiastic celebration uh, which culminates in the murders of the Coffin Rock tourists. It's them dancing around uh, Tristan uh, at the center of it all. And this is the point where they're like, fuck, Tristan, you're a witch. Which, you know, maybe not wrong. Maybe. Maybe not. And, um... So they start chasing her up this winding staircase where she's like, you know, calling her husband a pussy and uh, talking about how everyone's going to die, being real witchy about uh, all this. And they're like, Hey, we just want to understand what happened. And she ends up with a noose around her neck and Tristan is like, come on, you want to, you want to hang me? Go ahead. You bunch of cowards. And she keeps pushing Steven until he shoves her back, and then she goes over the side of the railing, falling a relatively short distance, and then, you know, the noose uh, grows taut and her neck snaps. You have no balls. You
2: can't do it, can you? You can't do it, you weak little pathetic. Oh, you're the last fucking one with the balls, you little bitch. No. Oh!
0: And Tristan now uh, swings dead from uh, from the inside of uh, uh, of the house on the uh, on the railing. So we now have two bodies inside the house: Erica and Tristan. Correct. So uh, Sheriff Cravens naturally hauls all of them in and is like, "I I've been looking at your videos, Jeffrey," and then this reveals the you know theoretical truth of things truth in air quotes that they murdered all these people at coffin rock and we also uh see them hounding tristan who is like what are all you people doing i'm not a witch what are you doing why are you putting a noose around my neck Eck. and and she is in fact just murdered by all of them uh
1: she's the witch man
2: what are you saying i'm not the witch You're... Yeah, you are. What are you, you know saying?
1: This... You know what I'm saying? God damn Even it.
2: Please. You're killing me. Please.
1: Please.
2: Say the
1: word Oh god Stephen Dog do the... no!
0: And and the you know, the question is what were they from a mythology standpoint, were they manipulated by the witch into killing members of their own group, as well as the lady at the gas station and all that stuff. Um, or were they just swept up in the mania of the Blair witch shit, um, as, uh, shadow of the Blair witch would, uh, have you believe the, um, or I'm sorry, by the way, much better title. Yes. Yes. Um, would have you believe that Jeffrey was almost cult leader, like in his influence. Um, o- over the members of uh the tour group, and yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. What do you guys think about this movie? At the end of the day, oof, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um.
4: Well, with with the first film, there there are several very memorable parts. Um, and, and for this one, there's, I think there's maybe three that really stick out in my mind. Um. Uh, when they're going in and out of uh the the broom factory we get this uh security system that's just a bunch of dogs barking and finally we get the payoff where they open the door and there are a bunch of dogs right there barking so they they do a good job uh, of hooking you with that one like i didn't see that one coming they did a decent job with that um i i think erica freaking out with the runes on her i think that's really good Mm -hmm. um I, I like that aspect of it. One of the other things that sticks out to me, or at least in my memory, uh, over every time I've seen this, is uh, oddly enough, it's it's the kids walking backwards on the road, and I don't know why that always sticks with me. I, I guess it's just uh, a good shot that visually just sticks with me.
0: All right, uh, Vanessa, what what do you think about all all of this business?
3: Um I like it in a weird way but it's not that good. Um <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I I I enjoy aspects about it. And I enjoy these ideas that are there. I just wish it were better executed because I really like this whole idea of that they play around with of like a, a shared delusion. And, you know, are you, is this some sort of fervor you're caught up in at the moment? Or, okay, who is, what is something that is supernatural? What is reality? Where are the lines blurred? And how does that relate to a collective consciousness? And kind of, I mean, some of how it looks, you know. The meta stuff it does with the media i appreciate that i like that i just wish it were better executed you know but you know it's it's not the worst thing i've ever seen by any means
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that that's kind of where i land uh, on it is it's filled with such interesting ideas that i just don't think are, are, are 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 described well in the film and and are are resolved poorly in most cases and i think most of the characters are really bad um (laughs) well like i said kim director uh her character is probably my favorite in the film mostly because she's the one that just seems sort of the most grounded of all of them like the wiccan character is a little too airy and you know almost fairy-like as she prances through this movie uh, but I've
3: totally met that
0: person. I, I'm i sure. It's just, I don't know that I want to spend 90 but, minutes with them.
3: But I've, I, yeah, but I've stood there more like Kim, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> Right, right. Get your shit together.
0: <laughs> and I thought all this stuff with like Steven and Tristan writing the book together, I felt like that should make, should matter more in, in the right. course of the film. And it just doesn't um I, i'll tell you what let's just go ahead and score it I, i'm gonna give it uh two and a half stars i've been uh you know champing at the bit t- to give it that score um because <laughs> i i do think it's one of those things like it it's right down the middle for me i i wish it were better i think it it's almost worth seeing but if you never saw it i wouldn't twist your arm to do so it's like it, it, it's almost worth having the discussion, like we did, of like, oh, it's interesting. Is this kind of film within a film, where the video is the truth, and this the more cinematic looking scenes are the artifice, and it it's sort of an interesting experiment in that way. But it's not a good horror movie. It doesn't significantly move the needle on sort of the mythology of the Blair Witch, other than you know the kind of dopey stuff like oh if you have this symbol on you she's marked you for death uh (laughs) you know it's like eh, i don't like that 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 just makes it feel like a monster movie or something um but yeah uh so john what do you what do you say as far as the score goes
4: um well uh, everything you guys uh, have
0: brought up are great points
4: and that's actually why Um, about two weeks ago, I was actually able to track down somebody that has recreated the director's vision of this. Um, now, sadly, I haven't yet got to watch it because I'm trying to plow through so much of this year so I can do the end of review show for my podcast. But, uh, I'm hoping that pulls a lot of this together because for me, when this first came out on VHS, or actually DVD, sorry, I was a fan of it. But I've grown to have a troubled relationship with it since. And, you know, just looking at it as a follow-up to the original film, it's a horrible it's it's a horrible follow-up of that. But I guess if you just view it as like an early 90s horror film, it's it's not too bad. I've I've definitely seen worse. Um with this viewing, I was really able to kind of see what the director was trying to go for. And that idea is. Actually, pretty interesting, but sadly, those ideas—they're not flushed out, and we're left with this really kind of ambiguous film that really wants to leave you questioning a lot, but it's just not put together well enough that it does. And it's just an okay film. And I agree with you, Bo. It's it's two and a half stars.
0: All right, Vanessa, we have a hive mind going on here of two and a half stars. Don't fuck this up.
3: Two and a half stars. Yeah.
0: Nice. Nice. Hey.
3: I- Yeah. I I mean, it's I can throw it on here and there and just enjoy it just as a nothing film. But yeah, as a nothing film, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's I can't get that invested in it, even though, yes, like I've said, I like these ideas in it. And I'm glad that Berlinger went back to documentaries. (laughs) Like, you, You know, maybe maybe you should have just stuck to that to begin with.
4: Well, if if his idea wasn't originally so corrupted,
3: I I would be much more
4: interested in that film.
3: And that's the other piece of, okay, then maybe if he had been able to have, you know, uh, more of whatever vision, and then there'd been less, like, studio, whatever involvement, would that have been better? I would be up for
1: that.
4: I think yes, but I still think as a follow-up to the original film, that's not
0: the film that... That people were going in hoping for. No. Yeah, alright. Yeah, With the release of Blair Witch 2, it became readily apparent that the film was not going to do the kind of business the original had done. With a production budget of $15 million, it came in second at the box office on its opening weekend, doing over $13 million. But reviews and word of mouth led it to a disappointing drop in the second week, and in less than a month it wasn't even in the top 20 films opened. It would go on to net $47 million worldwide, which isn't terrible, but it's a far cry from the first movie's numbers and essentially ended the franchise for 15 years. What followed in the wake of Book of Shadows was a multimedia juggernaut, intended to further the mythology and make Blair Witch a legitimate brand. The sequel's failures, whether artistic or commercial, led to a general abandonment of the franchise, but the media blitz was already underway. There were books and games and comic books and, well, let's just talk about it. Between Book of Shadows, uh, Blair Witch 2, and the eventual third film in, uh, in in this now trilogy of Blair Witch movies, um, a lot of books and whatnot came out. So let's do a roundup. Here's what came out and then let's just say our piece about about these things um so on the heels of book of shadows blair witch 2 the movie comes book of shadows the dossier also by d.a stern and um this is uh again much more kind of r- Rustin par based stuff as is the the follow-up to this the uh what secret confessions of of Rust and Parr? Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, what do what do we think about these? Any uh, same question as the original dossier? Uh, is there anything that makes them noteworthy? Is is there anything that you would point out to say like you should read this, you shouldn't read this? Uh, Vanessa, uh, let's take both of these uh, at a, at a as one. The Book of Shadows dossier and Secret Confessions of Rust and Parr. Uh, what do we think?
3: Again, I think that I don't think they're required reading. I, I think if you're going to read any of these, read the first dossier rather than this Book of Shadows and then the Rust and Parr thing. They're they're interesting pieces to add to this whole mythos, but I don't think they're required. I think you can get enough of that in you know and then the other materials out there
0: yeah i mean there's the kyle brody stuff that is hinted no. at at yeah in the uh Burkett's uh no 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 shadow of the blair witch stuff um no 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 massacre of the Bur- uh, burkitt's Mas- massacre- seven. Seven, yeah right so yeah. it's that one that ties into secret confessions of rust and Parr, because there's all the stuff with uh the survivor of the killings that you know, Kyle Brody may have been this weirdo possessed kid in, in which
4: the, I, I think kind of undermines some of the
0: original film's mythos yeah I'm not crazy about that I, I much prefer the idea of him as of Rustin Parr as the weirdo in the woods who fell under the sway of the Blair Witch much right. to his chagrin like he doesn't seem it to be having a good time
3: it's more logical just basically it is more logical to keep it that way. Yeah. And it, it, because once you start adding this extra component, it's just too convoluted and too like, Oh, come on. Really? Like, (laughs) you know, just keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, Right. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Sometimes you need to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I find it kind of, uh, ultimately a little bit frustrating um you know uh i i like the book of shadows thing that's in uh the blair witch or the uh, uh book of shadows dossier um i think that's kind of neat um
3: got yeah, some neat things but i will say the Rustin parr book stylistically it was something about it. That I just was kind of like I really wasn't into.
0: Yeah, that that's the cooler of the two for sure. If you were gonna read one or the other, and and because it does feed into the uh, Burkittsville Seven documentary, it feels a little more connected. Um, but it, it's also like those two things connect with one another, but they don't really come up anywhere else in the fiction, and eh, so anyway i i yeah i would say those are interesting little diversions along the way i don't know that i would tell you that either of them are required uh just as you said and then there's the book that whoa, whoa. oh i'm sorry go, i'm I, sorry I to say sorry john
3: <laughs> yes hello let our guest speak please
0: um for
4: myself, I'm I'm actually gonna go against both you guys. I don't think either of these are really worth picking up. We've mm-hmm. already discussed the most interesting part of the secret confessions of rusting Parr, the the Kyle Brody aspect. Um, it, it's fair enough on its own. It, it, it's okay, but to me, the the dossier, I, I'm gonna save everyone the time. The most interesting aspect of that is Erica might not be real she might be the blair witch which i loved that aspect i really wish they would have flushed that out more in the book um a la like the the first dossier or flushed it out in the movie but
3: well that goes then into some of the young adult stuff
4: oh well please do tell
3: we're not there yet god damn it i'm just saying it pops up a lot throughout the writings Okay. Okay. Where you have on multiple ones, it has popped up. Where you have a female character who ends up being the Blair Witch. Oh,
4: yeah. God damn it. So I did opt out of the children's books. So maybe I have to go back on eBay and actually purchase those. And
3: or I could just mail them to you.
4: I would not object.
3: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so then there's the graveyard shift story from D. A. Stern. That's uh, a fictionalized telling of detective Randy Crawford <laughs> pursuing John Lee fellows. And eh, it's kind of who cares. It, it's <laughs> of, of all the stuff. Like we're about to dive into the YA stuff. And of all the stuff I read, the graveyard shift, it, it's kind of a little novella and it's just like, eh, okay, fine. It's, it's just the least interesting of just about any of these. Um, which brings us, though, to the Blair Witch Files. Which is a series of eight books. Uh, starting with The Witch's Daughter. The Young Adult. Why? Yeah, YA Young Adult Novels. Um, the Witch's Daughter. The Dark Room. The Drowning Ghost. Blood Nightmare, my favorite title. The Death Card, The Prisoner, The Night Shifters, and The Obsession. In the interest of of full disclosure, I did not read the last two.
3: (laughs) I didn't get to the last one.
0: Okay. So I didn't read uh, Night Shifters or Obsession. I did read up to that. And at some point I may go back. Like, they're super easy reads. Um, the,
3: none of them are longer than 180 pages.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's, okay. it, like they're quick, right? It's two hours in, in and out. Uh, and, and you've got one of these under your belt. Um, I'll tell you, here's what, here's what I kind of like about them. They are very Scooby doo. Um, it is a, the, the character's name is Cade Merrill, who is the cousin of Heather Donahue, who starts a website, uh, called the Blair Witch Files. And it's he's looking for information about Heather's disappearance, but um, it it ends up being various supernatural cases in and around uh, the Black Hills. And it is uh, heavily inspired by The X-Files, hence the title The Blair Witch Files, because The X-Files was about the biggest thing on television uh, at this time. Um, It's a lot of, like... Here's a spooky thing. And, you know, a lot of these end with maybe it's real, maybe it's not. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's almost frustratingly so where the a lot of these books don't seem to want to tie anything up. Uh, I don't know, Vanessa, what was your experience like reading The Adventures of Cade Merrill?
3: Okay, so a couple things. One, I usually do not like young adult novels i even when i was a young adult i didn't like that but this was still better than that five nights at Freddy shit that david made reread so, well
0: yeah of course okay
3: so let's just throw that out there that's one thing but two okay i don't know if i missed something or it was just wishful thinking on my part but i read the entire first book as if the Character Cade Merrill was female <laughs> instead of male. Right. And the name was pronounced Katie. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I get to the beginning of the second book. I'm like, wait, Cade was, is a male? Did I miss di- gender or something? But,
1: oh, man.
3: like, no, maybe, like, again, maybe it was wishful thinking in my head somehow that it was going to be like Nancy Drew solving novels, right. you know, solving all the mysteries um cuz it definitely did have that element you're you know not totally Scooby Doo but yes a little bit Scooby Doo Nancy Drew X-Files all kind of thrown together and it made it a little bit more interesting now what is i will say one thing that kind of surprised me that they just kind of they st- have on all of the books except for the first one that it's for ages 12 and up well, I'll tell you, on the first one, they have a little like mild sexual assault that just all of a sudden you're like, "Wait, yeah. what?" And it's like, "I was not expecting that." <laughs> so, that was.
4: Did this take place at Camp Arawak by any chance, or
3: no? But anyway, no. <laughs> that has That's nothing what to do we with call me.
4: Baldies missing... there. Oh God!
3: But this was just—it's <laughs> just a like a small little thing that was like. Slipped into this storyline, and I'm like, whoa, 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 what the fuck? And then it was all of a sudden like, it passed along, and it was like, what? And I'm like, are we not going to address this? And no, it wasn't addressed, really. Nope, not completely. Um, So anyway, more
4: innocent times, Vanessa.
3: uh, I I don't know. (laughs) It was kind of it was kind of strange. That that was it. But there was still some sort of but it, what I was saying about these characters that throughout you see throughout some of the books and things and in, in potentially in the films of someone who is a modern embodiment of the Blair Witch. Who is like? Are they possessed by the Blair Witch, or are they entirely? Is the Blair Witch a shapeshifter at this point?
0: Ah, and and that was that the uh, the night shifters. Is that where that got into the business?
3: I don't remember. No, I was thinking about it before that, because it's left ambiguous at these different places, as if. Oh, and they all and they 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 tend to be females with these specific kind of eyes, and different things, and so it's interesting that I mean to see, okay, is are people possessed by the Blair Witch or is it an actual like an, an avatar of an incarnation of
0: yeah yeah
3: yeah it's it's ambiguous
0: yeah and and the other thing that kind of drops in as far as mythology goes is there's some business with rustin Parr's brother dale um who just ends up dying um but it's i don't know I, here's what i would say about the blair witch files that i've read the the six that i have i've read for myself um i they're they're breezy reads in most cases like i never read any of the goosebump stuff but it feels like it's it's certainly more teen oriented than uh, you know middle school it feels more like high school or something because not just because of the sexual assault but like it that was just that first one yeah
3: (laughs) the other ones weren't like that
0: but there's you know uh, there it, it's certainly trafficking and and the horror stuff but like you said uh, or my original uh, complaint with a lot of these uh books was that it always seems like it wraps up in a place of this could have been supernatural or maybe not and i always felt like yes. th- this always feels like a little bit one time or another it it but again, this was the X Files influence. It was just like, well, maybe it's aliens, but maybe not. Uh, and it just feels a little too wishy washy. And at the end of the day, there is, aside from the, are they are they not incarnations of the Blair Witch? There's not a ton of mythology that bleeds over. Like the, <laughs> I, I would even say as little as like the Rust and Parr book and things like that. Uh, don't have a whole lot to do with uh the overarching mythology. This is even less, so. I mean, even well, across no, all no. these books.
3: You, you have like little things going back to the Ellie. What's her name? The LA little Kenner. girl treacle.
0: Oh, right, 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 right that,
3: right. that was taken and like drowned. So you have that, like that's a entire premise, the drowning ghost.
0: Right, right.
3: That, that, that's that entire books, like the story that kind of ties back to that, that part of the Blair Witch mythos and the creek.
0: Yes, the, you're a hundred percent right. But then you get to the next book, and it's pretty much unrelated. You know? Oh, no, <laughs>
3: absolutely it, no, and they don't necessarily. It's you could read one and not the other. You could read them out of the or out of order. It doesn't matter. Right. So
4: they're very episodic. Yes,
3: exactly, exactly. That is totally the feel that it has. But, there. I mean, there's some of it that just definitely seems so, like, oh, my God. And I think I even texted David at one point. I forget which book it was. Um, I think it was during Blood Nightmare or something. Where I was like, oh, shit. It's getting real. They're pulling out the Native American, you know, mythology. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it was... Because it just seemed like such a trope of like, oh, no, we've got to put this influence in here now in order to make this a complete story. I was like, no, why do you need you didn't need that before? You just had a good old fashioned, good old fashioned witch. Right. You don't need all this other thing about the Native Americans. And did they curse the land before, you know, the the Blair Witch was there? You no, know, you're overcomplicating again. Keep it simple, stupid.
0: Yep, like, it's too much, too much, too much. But too all right, much. but that same stuff. All right, so that's a good lead in. Did you want to say anything else about the Blair Witch Files? I don't want to shortchange.
3: No. All right. No. Uh, but I was pleasantly surprised. I do have to say
0: that they're not bad. They're, they're like, not they,
3: bad. They're they're really are not bad. Right.
0: They're they're plenty fun for like rainy afternoon kind of fun reading. Uh, and and as you said, like just such quick reads that it it makes it bearable if not pleasurable. Um, So let me give a shout out to the comics real quick, the comics and the video games. We're not going to linger on this very long, but there was a companion. I
3: have nothing to add on either.
4: (laughs)
0: Uh, I got the comics. Okay. So there's, let's, uh, this goes back some, uh, this bus our chronology a little bit, but the, uh, there was a, a Blair Witch Project companion like, a, you know, the movie adaptation comic, um, which is pretty good and yeah. and has some, if not alternate scenes, some alternate takes uh, of, of the goings on of the Blair Witch Project. And I would actually recommend that. I, I, I don't know about you, John, but as a, a comic book fan, I thought it was a really cool horror comic and and, and kind of captures the idea of like the found footage feel pretty well
4: yeah no i completely agree um i i really enjoyed that one and in fact so much so that i went out of my way to purchase uh two copies so i have the i i nerded out a bit and bought a never opened limited edition with a certificate of authenticity one that i've never touched it's still in it's nice little sealed bag and i bought another one just to read again
0: nice uh cool <laughs> well done so um yeah it's cool so then there's in october of 2000 there is dark testaments which is uh, a a one-off comic that is uh again tied to rust and and um it basically <laughs> goes against all the kyle brody stuff and Is the story of Rustin Parr being manipulated by the Blair Witch, right? And like the whole, it's it's basically a character profile of Rustin Parr, who is this nice kind kind of slow kid who gets seduced into uh, the witch's clutches thanks to his uh, jerk brother Dale, and who appears to be under the influence of the Blair Witch, and then basically he's grooming rust and par to take that place and uh it's kind of cool it's a fun little bit of mythology i i again uh for a one-off comic like the original was i recommend it uh and um did you catch that one as well john yeah um i actually thought the
4: backstory of rustin and that one was quite good um i really enjoyed how that one uh really kind of gave us a background on him and and the the added bit of his twin brother and the whole sacrifice there I, i thought it was good i enjoyed it it wasn't as as good as the blair witch uh but i still enjoyed that one
0: and then we come to the final comic uh interpretation expansion of the Blair Witch story uh which is a four issue series called the Blair Witch Chronicles which tells four different stories at four different times and the quick summary is in 1827 a um a church is going to be founded in Burkittsville but uh the Blair Witch uh decides no and then the there's one in 1911 which is a family not providing an offering to the blair witch before they go out hunting and then uh they all end up dying terribly and uh there's a theme to all of these and then in (laughs) 1955 there's a like lover's lane kind of story and um Then it ends up being like this big curse that haunts a family forever. And then uh, there's 1991, which is when a local coven of Wiccans uh, is asked to come to Burkittsville to cleanse a house uh, on the edge of the Black Hill Forest. And the protection spell they want to cast backfires, and then they're all uh, horribly murdered. So... It's, but I'll, I got to say, I thought they were uh, pretty fun as a whole. Um, I don't know that they expand. It, it's more just like, okay, here's some stuff you kind of know about the Blair Witch. And also she fucks these people up. and Right. And, and I did just enjoy these little uh, added stories. Right. It it could have been another Blair Witch movie with a different set of characters or something. And that's kind of what the comics are. But they're cool. Like I, I especially like the one about all the Wiccans, because I like a, a good story where somebody uh is called in to do something and they fuck it all up because they don't really know what they're doing. And <laughs> and then just get murdered for their trouble. I like that stuff. And and it's pretty good. Like you can buy that volume for like the Kindle for eight or nine bucks so if you like Blair Witch stuff I think all the comics are actually pretty good um you know Now, did you did you actually get the one
4: oh shit I can't remember the the name uh but it keeps discussing uh the Wood Witch Says where we get a different take on the stories told in the Blair Witch the mythos
0: uh oh no I did not tell me all about it
4: oh well this one this one just gives us a uh, slightly different take on some of the mythos, like um, uh, the, the slaughter Coffin Rock. Like um, uh, the, the whole story behind this comic, because it even has its own story, and it tells us in a foreword that um, this uh, college kid was out there, and he was blind and uh, mute, and while in the Black Hills on some tour, he gets hit in the back of the head, and while unconscious or semi-conscious, he hears an old woman whispering tales to him. And shortly thereafter, he drops out of college, writes his own comic and self-publishes it. And then in another year, he ends up committing suicide. Well, this comic book artist ended up stumbling across one of these crudely made ones and actually decided to replicate it in a more consumer-friendly fashion. So we, we get kind of the story of the, the slaughter at Coffin Rock. And I, I like it because um, the girl is used as a puppet, the one that is missing. And um, she is actually the one that kills the man, but she's under control of the Blair Witch. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, they did a really neat one with um, uh, Rustin Parr, which I, I thought it was very interesting to see – how he was just a simple man that wanted left alone. He thought he'd finally found um, his peace. And then the Blair Witch would not leave him alone until he completed his task of uh, delivering her seven children. Um, and I actually, it started off with a story of Ellie herself and how she had moved town to town until she settled in Burkittsville because, well, the town of Blair then, um, because she felt she was cursed and she was always fighting against that to remain holy and pure until some uh children uh spied her making the little stick figures cuz it was kind of a way of her dealing with the curse and trying to keep it at bay and then finally she was tortured and left for dead uh because the children you know told on her and blah 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 and uh, she was so weak that she couldn't fight off the curse anymore and then became the Blair Witch.
0: Ah, OK. Uh, uh, all right. All right.
4: I would actually really suggest that one. I I think that one was possibly my favorite just because it gave you uh, a wider view of some of those stories.
0: Right. And it sounds like it's much more mythology heavy, too, which is the stuff right. I like the most when it it's like, no, here's. More backstory on Ellie Kedward, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all right. So, l- l- very briefly, let's touch on the video games because there were some. There were three, <laughs> as a matter of fact. They are nigh unplayable. Um, <laughs> they are based on three events. Uh, there are three, three games based on, uh, events from the, uh, the mythology one of them is centered around um rust and Parr. one is centered around uh coffin rock one is centered around ellie kedward herself uh i did not play these games i tried to play one of them a while back these games were released uh you know almost 20 years ago at this point and are god awful uh (laughs) and they were pc games right yeah they were pc games they were incredibly repetitive. It, it wasn't quite E.T. the game bad, but they were <laughs> generally pretty crappy. And um, there's really not... I mean, they don't go too deep into the mythology, not as much as you would like. There's a, like... Doc Holiday shows up in the one about Rust and Parr, and you're just like, this doesn't make any goddamn sense um there's an entity uh that you know kind of to to the point you were talking about that possessed ellie kedward that like the blair witch is just this beast that has existed in these woods forever um a bunch of stuff like that and it's stuff that at the end of the day i'm like i don't want this like this is this is too much mythology i just want the witch that was cast out to be the thing. You know, that's the thing that I like. You Um, keep the story simple and pure, and it's terrifying. Right. Right. So that brings us then uh, all the way up to 2016 when a movie originally uh, just called The Woods was being whispered about and made uh, quite the splash when it was revealed that this was actually... The, the team of Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett of uh, your next and homesick fame um, <laughs> doing a sequel to uh, the Blair Witch Project uh, is simply entitled Blair Witch. In 2009, the original film's directors, Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Myrick, announced they would be producing a third film in the Blair Witch series. Based on the vague descriptions they gave, the film would potentially feature the original actors in some regard, and the creators were quick to say that there would be no intersection between their sequel and the events of Book of Shadows. The duo went quiet for a couple of years, then in 2011... Eduardo Sanchez broke his silence to say that Lionsgate was the holdup in getting the sequel off the ground, pinning their approval of the sequel's story. And also, Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez had to find time when they were both free to do the film. Along the way, director Adam Wingard ran into Sanchez and Myrick at the Sundance Film Festival when Wingard was promoting VHS2. He casually asked why there weren't more Blair Witch movies, inadvertently putting himself on a path to making the sequel. Adam Wingard and his frequent collaborator, writer Simon Barrett, were forging a name for themselves in the horror world. In 2007, Wingard debuted as director with the low-budget but effective Homesick, starring Bill Moseley and Tiffany Sheppes. His next film was a psychedelic head trip of a movie called Pop Skull, but it was his first partnership with Simon Barrett that would give his career its boost. A Horrible Way to Die was a lean and brutal thriller which Nat prizes for actor, actress, and Simon Barrett's screenplay at the 2010 Fantastic Fest. The next collaboration would be Your Next, a movie which all horror fans are apt to know for its dark humor and its sly meta-commentary. With their follow-up, The Guest, it seemed clear that there was something special about this pairing of creators. Barrett stated that by the time he and Wingard were brought in, most of the development on the Blair Witch sequel was done, meaning that a story existed and many of the plot beats were hammered out. Barrett suggested adding to the list of characters to increase opportunities for scares and to give the film a slightly different dynamic than the original. He wanted to include characters from Burkittsville along with a group of characters inspired to look for Heather after finding a video online of the missing student. The film shot in 2015 in the woods of British Columbia and Canada. When it came time to shoot scenes with a house, a set was used for a stand-in. The entire production was shot under the title The Woods, and posters leaked out under the same name. The first indication of the true nature of the movie came at 2016's Comic-Con, where the true title, Blair Witch, was revealed at a screening and the film was shown for the first time. Following that came a sneak peek at the 2016 Toronto Film Festival on September 11th, before premiering wide in theaters on September sixteenth. Uh, so guys, Blair Witch twenty sixteen. Um, did you see it in the theater? Let Let's start there. Did you guys see it in in a in a movie house?
3: Yes, I saw it in the theater, and it was a screening. And I'm kind of glad I didn't have to pay for it.
4: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, I actually remember. <laughs> I have the... a
3: lot of things to say.
4: <laughs> okay. Um, I actually remember when the news broke that uh, this was actually the Blair Witch a sequel. Um, I was ecstatic, as uh, if you haven't already noticed, I'm kind of a, a Blair Witch fan. Um, I, I was super stoked about it. I showed my uh, then girlfriend uh, the trailer right off. Um, made her know quite clearly that we were going to watch that uh there was no if and
0: or but and we did watch it actually opening night all right i saw the i don't think it was opening night but i saw this pretty maybe it was opening night at any rate i saw it pretty quickly i i was kind of in the same camp i i was excited to see it i like the creative team behind it um and i have a very complicated relationship with this movie i think um <laughs> it's it, it's a, a there are things i dearly love about this movie and their their decisions also that i think are entirely wrong uh but we'll get into that Let, let's just start talking about this thing so it opens with a variation on the old text about the lost tape where it's uh footage we haven't seen before and it's an i the the idea is that heather's brother uh who was a kid when she went missing is now of age and he receives this tape in the mail and he believes it is uh an image of heather uh taken at uh, ostensibly the rustin parhouse uh deep in the woods did you see her
2: what do you mean i, oh, I missed it the first time too hang on
1: i think that might be my
4: sister Uh, actually can i correct you please do he he doesn't receive it in the mail um actually he has uh alerts set up on his computer for anything related to the blair witch uh the black hills so as soon as this is uploaded to uh youtube he actually gets an alert and that's where we get the footage is, is he's simply uh, kind of obsessed in the background for any news on anything strange and obscure because his sister's gone missing and then this crops up and kind of spikes his, his uh, uh, hopes, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and thank you for correcting me. You're absolutely right. They
3: And it reminds me in a way I, I mean, it just echoes the whole young adult series because that's supposed to be from the point of view of heather's um from the first film her cousin right and how he's become obsessed with this kind of thing and knowing about learning about this you know this area and this legend the blair witch and finding out about her disappearance so it it kind of harkens back to that
0: so essentially uh, this is an adaptation of the blair witch files
4: (laughs) well i think it's
3: some echoes of it
0: well i i as i was saying
4: i think that's on purpose because they they definitely dive deep into the mythology
0: right yeah you cannot fault this movie for attempting to uh honor the mythology of the, these films and and really expand on it in in some interesting ways um so we have our our group of of friends here that are going to go explore this like potentially uh find heather uh presumably lost after all these years are found after all these years um there's a lot of fancy new gear that we're talking about here like everyone's got gps and cell phones and walkie talkies and drones like this is way more high tech than the dat and a couple of cameras and it's um lane no, I'm sorry. We haven't gotten and, the lane yet. It's uh, and you
3: know, you know, there is no way they could have done this movie without checking off all those boxes of technology.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, they could
3: never have done it now and not addressed all of those different things.
0: So you've got James, who is Heather's younger brother. You've got uh, his. I, one thing that I I still every time I watch this movie, I'm like are he and Lisa supposed to be dating or are they falling in love over the course of the movie I don't entirely understand what their relationship it's is yeah. Yeah. yeah and then you've got Ashley and Peter and James and Peter are lifelong friends and Ashley is Peter's girlfriend um, right. you know sadly that is her character in this movie She's Peter <laughs> uh, like Lisa seems to be the you know the camera girl uh james obviously heather's uh brother uh but yeah poor ashley just just along for the ride um anyway so james uh fills in some exposition and that they're gonna go meet the guy who found the tapes in the black hills that he uploaded to youtube And this is Lane and Talia. Uh, Lane um, is kind of an obsessive about Blair Witch stuff. Talia is his girlfriend. And they're, I mean, rural, I guess, a little bit. They're interesting. They're kind of oddball characters, but in a way that's not particularly threatening, I would say. No, no. You get that they're obsessed and they're, they're definitely...
4: Uh, well-versed in the lore, and they're, they're just townies. Right. Townies is a great way to put it, yeah.
3: So many small towns, especially when they end up with these kind of weird, whatever, stories, like, oh, there's been a Bigfoot sighting, or, oh my goodness, there's been this legend or that legend about whatever ghost and alien abduction. You know, all these different things. They always end up being... Yeah, townies that are still kind of oddballs, you know, so they're in a way they're like, maybe they're not stuck there, but they might be. But this is their way of making the best of where they live, best out of the situation of where they live. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They become obsessed with whatever local thing.
0: Well, and so Lane and Talia uh, blackmail our group a little bit uh, into saying like, hey, if they're going to go camp out in the woods, Lane and Tally want to go with them. Well, first off, I was hoping you could show us where you found the tape. We're going to make that our starting point.
2: Are you guys really going to go camping out in those woods?
1: Yep, that's the plan. Why?
0: Uh, We want to go out there with you. And Peter in particular does not look pleased about this.
3: Maybe because they walk in and there's a Confederate flag on the wall.
0: Yeah, I was gonna sure. say there might be a good reason for that's,
3: that. That's and he's and Peter is African American, so yeah, and that's that could be one reason.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm
3: not saying definitely. Yeah, however, it would make me uncomfortable, and I'm white, so.
0: One thing I'll say about this, uh, in addition to yes, uh, Confederate flags are the mark of an asshole, generally. Um, but also th- these are the scenes where I'm like, you know, this is, this feels acted. This is not trading on the fidelity of the original Blair Witch. It's just like, okay, well, we're doing this kind of found footage style, but it's a movie, you know, like, it's not trying to fool me. There are actual right. performances going on. There are actors doing yeah. actor things. It It's not... It's more a movie than fake documentary, I suppose. Uh, even though it right. has those trappings, and and so like in the original film, they head into the woods. Uh, Peter keeps giving Lane shit about you know his other videos of like finding rock piles and stuff. Which, as we know, being fans of the Blair Witch mythos, uh, piles of rocks are significant. Those are symbolic of either you know ritual magic or graves or something but you don't fuck with them yeah that's not something you play with right or you end up with your teeth in a bundle of sticks <laughs> right <laughs> so but and there's like a gate that we've never seen before it's just kind of the the mcguffin of this movie of this is where you officially enter the black hills woods the bridge right that you're crossing into the Blair Witch's domain. uh, I
4: I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's
0: right before they cross the stream, right? Yes. The running water is, you could argue, plays into that. Absolutely.
3: You have that actually, you have that in every single one of these things. The importance of the running water and crossing into another realm once
0: you've crossed the water.
3: Even in the second one where they're just crossing the water that's around the guy's uh, warehouse.
0: Yeah. Right. But but it's definitely crossing into a different reality once you get into his joint and stuff. So, yeah, I, I think all that's cool. You know, again, I think this movie does a lot of very clever stuff with um, incorporating a lot of the threads of mythology into something that feels kind of coherent. Um. So like they officially our group of heroes officially entered the Black Hills Woods. Lane says something about like, you know, uh, you know, now we're in her territory or something and Peter kind of cracks up and gives some shit. And then uh he takes them to the busted tree where he found all the tapes. And at this point they cross the river uh over the log and Talia is the first one that's like should we just leave? And because this seems like maybe not the greatest idea we've ever had, uh, because Talia has a pretty good head on her shoulders um, for most <laughs> of the of the film, and then uh, Ashley hurts her foot in the river, which will uh, come into play later. James tends her wound to let us know that he's you know pre med or an EMT or some shit. Man. uh he i believe he's an emt because we get a
4: uh profile shot of him standing by uh an ambulance and he's in an emt outfit i believe
0: yeah i think that's right and we have a, a comedy joke bit where peter is trying to put the tent up and and can't and uh it's all caught on on tape and it's a real like let's throw the brakes on this movie for a second uh i i I don't think the scene is very funny and it doesn't do much to eliminate the character. I'm just like, eh, let's get get on with things. Oh, uh, see, for me, I can relate
4: because I've been there where it just seems like one little thing goes wrong and it, it just snowballs from there to the point where I'm just this angry lunatic
0: kicking my fucking tent everywhere. Like, why won't you fucking work? Right. <laughs> so we, while he goes for a piss by himself to regroup, um, they send the drone up for the first time. Uh, while they're in the woods, just to look around, and it's just a lot of woods. We don't see the uh, uh the house anywhere. But it's like, okay, well, you know, we've established that we are moving deeper in, into the the Black Hills woods. Uh, that night, you know, we're camping, we're roasting weenies, everybody's having a good time. We mention uh, Ellie Kedward here, uh, Lane is kind of given uh, a little bit more mythology, you know, catching everyone up, playing Dr. Exposition in this scene.
2: According to this book I read, published in 1809, they didn't just tie Illy Kevin to a tree. I mean, they did tie her to a tree, but they tied her up really high and they strung these heavy rocks to her arms and legs, (sighs) as weights, stretching her. They left her to die
0: on a makeshift rack. Okay,
1: thanks.
2: Ever since, there's been a curse on these woods.
0: And here's a couple of interesting like prods to the mythology. One is that looking directly at the witch uh, makes you die of fright. The legend says if you look directly at the witch, you'll die just from the fright of it. Uh, which I believe is new. I don't recall this yeah. anywhere else. Yeah, that's completely We're, new.
3: Yeah, where but, did that come from?
0: Yeah, I don't know.
4: but I, the, I think it's just them looking for a reason as to why Parr had the children facing into the corner.
0: Yeah, I... I don't know yeah, that I, you need that. No. Not I'm necessary. Okay with it. It, it doesn't bother me this edition. And I'll, okay. I I'll, I like that one more than I like the next one, which is Lane saying, you know, for the magic to work, you have to spend the night in the woods.
2: All right, real theory, real theory, one that I've read online. It's whatever spell the witch put on these woods, you have to be out here at night for it to get you. You have to spend the night. Wait, well, then how come you're still alive? That's a good point. Maybe she's using us to lure you all out here.
0: I'm like,
4: eh. You
3: really? Yeah. Eh,
0: I don't know that I'm crazy about this. Also, yeah, that's
4: one that I I could take or leave. I, I it's eh, because
0: it doesn't really explain like the coffin rock stuff or yep. like it just it flies in the face of a lot of other stuff where people just wandered into the woods and same day of. Uh, up to and including like the girl who drowns in the in the creek and all that stuff. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> I don't like it, Blair Witch. So uh, they, they break up for the night and then James is awakened by some loud noises outside. And then he looks over and Lisa is missing. But she just was waiting to uh, jump scare him. So it, <laughs> it all works out. And then they're like, well, now Lane is missing. So James and Talia go looking for James, and we get a little moment with James and Lisa, but it's one of those times where I'm like, so are they not fucking? Because I thought they were, but they're acting like, well, maybe we're gonna fuck later. And I just don't know. That's kind of how I take the relationship. Uh, I think they're building up to that.
3: Yeah, I think they're in the territory of they want to, but they haven't gotten there yet. Right. So, and they're not necessarily—they're not overtly flirting. However, the the tension is there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, it's uh, it, it's more confusing than it needs to be. Uh, it doesn't
3: need to be in there.
0: Right. Or or just have one moment where Peter's like, "So, what's up with you and Lisa? You it's know, not- something." Right.
3: Like it's yeah. weird, it's awkward, yeah,
0: uh, anyway, I got questions, and then, um <laughs> Lane pops out of the bushes uh to once again give us a jump scare, uh which is weird because neither there, movie has been a been jump scare focused before
3: there have been uh, and I have to say that's my complaint, one of my complaints about this movie. there are too many fucking jump scares,
0: yeah well I, I think.
4: Probably that was handed down from the studios is like, we need more scares. You know, it needs to have scares straight from the start. These are millennials. They need faster, faster, faster. So that would be my assumption. I know nothing definitive.
3: That's an entire possibility, but it's just, that's part of my frustration from this movie. That.
0: Yeah. It's yes. So it's
3: unnecessary.
0: (laughs) uh, Yeah, you're right. Like, we'll get to it. There 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 are good things that happen in this movie but the proliferation of jump scares maybe not the best of them. And then yes. James is uh like they finally get back to Camp Lane and Talia and um the next morning when they wake up a lot of you know Blair Witch symbols are hung from the trees what we have come to know as the 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 Blair Witch uh some symb- symbology. And they're like, oh, this is creepy and crazy. And then Lisa discovers that Lane is using a a digital tape camera. Also, he has some twine that looks a whole lot like the same twine that is used to make uh, the stick figures they saw earlier. And then uh, finally... Ashley by the way g- quick side note Ashley's foot not doing great here oh. uh, <laughs> th- like we don't get into the grossest part of it yet but there's definitely like she is limping and not having a great time so
3: and th- I was re-watching this the other day after I had fallen on my face and like was had cleaned up blood off my face and, like <laughs> all I had like, all my first aid to it was just a disaster I'm like Jesus I know I didn't cut myself like that but woof I just like winced like I, us- I usually don't wince that much but I was like feeling it <laughs> split lip will do that to
1: you
0: <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> um so uh, in addition to Ashley not doing well Lane um gets accused of like hey man you <laughs> you could have staged all of this up to and including the discovery of the tapes And he cops to, hey, I did all the stick figures, but I didn't do the tapes. Like, those are legit. But at this point, his credibility is done for. Yeah, it's shot. Right. And the rest of the group is like, you guys need to get out of here. And this is one of the moments I like where Lane kind of is like, look, how about you just get me back to the road? You know, (laughs) like... I don't have, uh, the maps and the GPS and all that stuff. And I don't want to be lost out in these woods because he's the, you know, he and Tally are the believers here. Right. So, but the group is like, no, fuck you. Get, get lost losers. And so get lost. They do for a little bit. Okay. I think you two got all the footage you need. You walk that way for about two miles you hit the fence. Look, can we just calm down? We can just talk about it. No. Come on. Fuck guys. Come on. Okay, Please. Okay.
1: Okay. Please. Sir, sir. Come on. No.
0: Look. Cut the camera off, you guys! Don't understand, okay? Just get out, out of here! And James, of course, is bummed out because you know he believes this was all faked now, and that he's you know foolishly led himself and his friends into this excursion into the woods to to jump after ghosts, right? And however, they can't seem to find their way back to the fence uh that you know leads away from the black hills woods yeah the gps leads them right back to their original campsite right so camp they do so this is where we get a longer look at ashley's wound uh with peter checking it out and doing a really unconvincing job of telling her that it looks fine he's just like no no baby this is fine and yeah, it's no no big deal. It's just, it's okay that you're feverish and sweating and this is moving. Right. And that's the thing, is like when he looks at it, something moves inside the wound. Uh-huh. Uh, and I this is a point where I'm like, I like the push in a body horror. Well done, Blair Witch. <laughs> uh, I, I, right? Yeah. I'll
3: give him that, definitely.
0: Let's let's keep up the Cronenberg. Um so Peter goes for some firewood, and Lisa goes after the drop drone uh because you know they send it up and lose connection and which saw nothing and while we're, we're splintering up and keep in mind it's not crazy that in light of everything being debunked in their eyes that they would just all splinter off and do their own thing right um yeah they
4: they think it's a bunch of bullshit at this point so
0: right in fact peter even says like i know i'm gonna be a lot less scared walking around out here now that i know this is all bullshit peter speaking of is uh collecting firewood gets some static on his walkie-talkie then his lights going out and he hears some scary sounds and then he runs and then uh there's a sound like a big tree popping and James goes running into the woods to look for Peter, who, like, <laughs> while James is looking for him, Peter, it seems, is trapped under a tree. Like, something, a tree has essentially been pushed over on top of him. Right. And something is stalking around the tree, and then it gets
4: him. Yeah, it just drags him off.
0: Right. And so, James finds the flashlight of the now-missing Peter, and back at camp Ashley jump scares Lisa um, and it's like hey I'm still in this movie yes! oh, and Lisa's like get back in your tent Ashley your boyfriend is out of the movie now and we can't have you walking around here by yourself
3: <laughs> you know, yeah don't you don't have no you anymore. yeah you have no other purpose except to slow <laughs> us down Right. like really it's sad
0: it, it really Like, she's such a wasted character in this film.
3: I know. I know.
0: And then. Yeah, she should have really played, like, the doubter. Or something. Just. Right. Anyway. So, because Ashley already jump scared Lisa, now it's James's turn to jump scare Lisa, which he does. <laughs> and then in the tent, James is blaming himself for, like, well, Peter's gone missing, and this is all my fault. And then they start hearing some shit outside. And uh, they you know, bust out of the tent to see what's going on. And it's Lane and Talia who are not having a great time, apparently. Um, they're like, "Where? how long has it been? What year is this? And they're like, what are you talking about? Yo, like, we saw you guys a few hours ago. They're like, no, it's been days.
3: Five days.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I like how they're all dirty
4: and Lane has a stubble beard now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And Talia's just like they have food; they're doing better than we are. <laughs> and right, like it's it, like there's a whole movie that I kind of want to see <laughs> that is just Lane and Talia's adventures over the past few days in <laughs> in this alternate reality. Because shit did not go well. <laughs> well,
4: actually, this actually ties back to the original, because uh, I said it was five or seven, and this right here
0: reminded me it's five, because they're missing the exact same amount. Right. Yeah. Which is, again, a nice little touch that's really cool. Uh, yeah. This movie does some things real, real well, and and that's one of those. Yeah,
3: it does. Uh, However,
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, we'll get there. And, so, <laughs> Oh, where was I? So, um, Lisa kind of pulls Talia to the fire and it's just like, come on, honey, you look crazy. And Lane (laughs) just rolls off into the woods and because he's like, fuck you guys. Like she's coming back and I ain't going to be here when that happens. And then the next morning they wake up at seven, but it's still dark outside. And this is something that Lane said, of like you know the it the sun never comes up, and so it's still dark. And there are some more uh like more raw looking symbols, not the nice and neat ones that we saw earlier. Like these look like the legit player witch stick figures. Yeah, but there's like a hundred of them around this campsite, right? As well as stone piles for all of them as well. Yep. And so now it's like, oh, they're just good and fucked. <laughs> and so Ta- oh, yeah. and Talia, when she sees this, is like, we got to go right now. Let's leave right now.
3: Understatement of the century.
0: Right. Right. So Ashley, uh, who has picked up the stick figure that freaked Talia out because it had her hair woven into it, breaks that stick figure, at which point Talia just breaks in half uh which is it's really cool but in terms of the mythology it's like so if that's what those stick figures are then why are there so many of them is the, it can't is it i don't know
4: do you guys have i a think you're on just that? i no i don't um i think you're reading into it too much it's just a fucking cool segment sure i, I yeah i mean if you really search for logic there i'm sure if i spent enough time i could pull something out of my ass but i got nothing i just
0: enjoy this little bit yeah, I, I mean, this is when the movie is kind of doing things right. Like that happens, and then all of a sudden the tent goes flying off. Everybody's yeah. screaming and running. It's like, okay, now right. we're doing a fucking Blair Witch movie, y'all. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right, right. But the thing is, is that no, there's no. They just have so many of them to be an overwhelming effect, because right. if I mean, it's not like what you would usually see and sort in some sort of you know, ritual doll where it's usually a one per person. They, I mean, they threw that out the window in the first movie.
4: Yeah. When they stumbled upon. Because
3: they had multiple ones then yeah. it wasn't as extreme as this, but you know, this came out it nearly 20 years after the first one. So you have to make things bigger and better.
4: Yeah. Well, also with the first one, we were limited with our view and th- we were even hearing in the background. Oh my god, I didn't even see all these ones.
3: Yes, so, exactly. Exactly.
4: There could have been almost as many. Right. Oh, or
3: I mean, the fact that they just had a bigger budget this time so they didn't <laughs> show all of them in the first one, you know. Sure. But it was implied by saying, "Oh my god, did you see all of these, you know?" Yeah. They you know, they were that was part of what was so clever about the first one. They did so much with such a little budget. They were very clever about what they did and did not show.
0: All right. yeah. I and mean, then this. Right. And sorry. You're no, you're right about all of that, and we're getting to
3: I so a... I'm saying you have to make things bigger and better with your scares and with your creepiness because, you know, the audience is a little bit more jaded, I think.
0: Right, but also it, it's also a bit too much like this movie oh, <laughs> doesn't take a breath which is what makes the original Blair Witch I would argue so good is that there's this lingering dread throughout otherwise moon- mundane kind of scenes and there's nothing mundane about the end of this movie like it just <laughs> from here on out it's just kind of set piece after set piece kind of thing so like James and Lisa find each other out in the woods after fleeing from the camp Ashley is on her own, and she starts uh, checking out the twig coming out of her calf. And one thing I will say is that when she tries to pull this like vine out of her leg, it's very squishy sounding. Oh, yeah. And the yes. pus rolling out. And... Yeah. Yes. It's it's real gooey. The
3: sound design is perfect, yes. I will say, for this.
0: Yeah, and in general, I think this movie sounds really good. Like, they get all the oh. Thor stuff right, and it's it's mm. good stuff. Mostly. Mo- oh, I, <laughs> and I love the sound Mostly. design of this one.
3: I have one complaint about the f- sound design in this
0: movie, but all right, I'll well, get to that later. Oh. So, Lisa is in a panic, and then James rubs her cheek until she's calm. And, okay. So, this is something that is kind of unnecessary to the rest of the movie, but... Well, no, no. Well, it. she's actually hyperventilating, and he's he's telling her to
4: focus on your breathing, relax, and it actually does come back when she's uh, down into the
0: tunnels. She, Fair enough. She remembers. Right. And, yeah. Yep. So, um, over in Ashleyville, she is hunting the drone, which is in a tree above her, and this is the scene that I think I find most frustrating about this movie is that we spend a lot of screen time of her, like, climb slowly climbing the tree and reaching out on the branch to get the drone. And then just, like, something gets her and drags her off. And it's like, ugh, well, then why did we spend so much time? Like, why did nothing happen with the drone? I don't know. It just felt real unsatisfying. Well, uh, that
3: also is with the drone that they have in this. I mean, the, it's good. OK, they bring in this aspect of modern technology, but they don't use the drone that much in this movie. It ends up being like just a bigger. Well, then why did you have it in here?
4: Yeah, well, they they, mean, they, like, they attempted to use it, but, they, you know, they brought it up. They couldn't even see the creek or anything. So they took it up higher loss signal and it crashed. And and then she's attempting to use it to actually find her way out. Hmm. Yeah,
3: but they didn't even try that that early on and then realize it. I just feel, you know, I felt like, oh, wow, how long were you carrying this shit around before you even tried to use it? Like, I don't know.
0: Right. It kind
3: of seems a little bit like, I I don't know.
0: It it (laughs) does feel like there should have been more clever use of that stuff.
3: Right. I feel like, yeah
0: like between the cell phones and the GPS and all you get is like, well, the GPS is screwed up and it's like, well, that could have been a compass then, you know, or, and and I, it's complaining about stuff that's not in the movie as opposed to things that, that are in the movie, which is a big fault of mine. I understand that. (laughs) But also it's like, you've got your solutions to the problem of technology are just like, doesn't work here. And I wish it were a little bit more interesting than that. Um, Right. Like we saw the GPS, they set, you know,
4: car. Right. You know, you set it on that location. And then, you know, we see that it takes them back. And you see on the screen, you are now at your, you know, destination. And they're back at the camp. You know, just something simple, little insert shots like that. Exactly.
0: Yes.
3: Yeah, and I don't feel like they're even making a comment and saying, oh, my goodness, we've pulled out a compass or something like that. Is the magnetic, you know, field off here or something? Like, they don't even, I don't feel like they even address that.
0: Yeah, I almost, I I, 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 I almost want the movie where, like, ghost hunters go into the Black Hills woods, <laughs> you know? Uh, where it's like, all right, we've seen the other movies. We're prepared for this somehow. Um <laughs> so Lisa and James find the house oh my
1: god we found it
0: And James thinks Heather's inside and he rushes in. Lisa doesn't want him uh, to go inside and she stays out in the rain, at least for now. We'll get back to that in a second. And so just inside James faces uh, three doors and he picks one that opens into a hallway. And there's just a lot of weird spatial stuff in this house where it's like, well, this shouldn't, it shouldn't be this big behind this door kind of, Doctor Who, Tardis shit, uh, in a, in a lot of these moments, and he sees Peter posed in a corner in one room, and then he's gone, and then he's chasing Heather again, just kind of up and up, up, up all these stairs, leading him higher and higher into this house, which again doesn't make any sense. it's just it's way too big for the house, you know, um Jane. But I-
3: Kind of, I have to say, I kind of like that aspect of I, yeah. it's like going down the rabbit hole and oh, it yeah. makes sense with what has carried through the other films and even the writing of like spatially, things don't make sense when you're in this, you know, the, when you've gone into the vicinity of this part of the Black Hills, whatever woods where the Blair Witch was. And it doesn't, things, your time space continuum is completely thrown off like you he- the way you hear someone speaking like a voice coming from above you when the person is actually below you know like the it really is just throws you off and they do that successfully i think for the most part throughout all of the films and that's one thing they do carry through and so I did like the fact that they took that further in this one.
0: Yeah, I, I totally I agree that was with an, you. Yeah. An
3: interesting idea.
0: Mm-hmm. And so he finally gets locked in a room and his flashlight won't set, stay on. And this is the point where he's like, well, I should get out of here. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, man, it is far too late for that kind of thinking. Like, <laughs> you have done fucked up. Yeah, like, as soon as he went in the house, it was like, you're done. Like, I yeah. think, I mean, you were done before that, but now you're super done. Um, so Lisa sees a scary thing in the woods and, sh- and runs inside. Well, uh, she's also, I think she
4: notices that the tree that they find the tapes in under is actually right there.
0: I think right. she notices that. And then the creatures behind that yeah. tree. And right. is this, or are we just saying this is the Blair Witch? <sighs> I don't believe so you know what what do you think it is what is what is your theory here um I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's heather,
4: really, really? I've got nothing to back that up, but uh I don't know it's just something I like to think. I don't believe it's the witch, okay, mostly yeah. because the filmmakers have said implicitly it's not the witch, right, so me writing my own fan fiction i I just made a heather. <laughs>
0: So, or, or just a manifestation of whatever scares her the most, or whatever, you know? Right. Um.
3: That's not what I think it is.
0: What? What do you think it is? And
3: this is what pisses me off about this one. Okay. It can be seen a little too much as fucking aliens, and I fuck that shit.
4: Oh no, I, am I, firmly against that. I don't believe it's aliens at all.
3: I don't. I don't believe it. And but I feel like you could see it that way, and I don't like it that it's that kind of I don't know.
0: Well, because if you're doing your essay about this, one of your paragraphs is the bright light they see through those slats. Exactly.
4: Oh, exactly. Oh, oh, I know, I know, I know that one. Uh, yeah. Ken. Um, the bright light through the slats uh, is actually the uh, the daylight. We're in such a time warp that that
0: is just the sun rising and setting. Oh, okay. I, I'm willing to go with that. That's okay. certainly better than UFOs.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, no. Agreed.
0: Yeah, so. but that that is
4: just that is the duration of day. The rest is just night. That is that is our time warp at effect. We're kind of in ground zero here, and we're spending enough time here that we're actually getting a glimpse of daylight. It's
0: turning into some the endless shit um, so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speaking of time weirdness Lane is there uh, when Lisa you know sees the thing in the woods and runs inside Lane is there to meet her and he's got a big beard now and he's <laughs> like you have to do what she tells you look,
1: that! Is <sighs> look exactly
2: how I remember
0: oh, she couldn't let you go should people who remember. And Russell Parr understood. You have to do what she told you. And tosses Lisa into some kind of cellar. But Which they're... they did set up earlier in the film. Right. But she starts making her way out of this thing through this like real small tunnel because Simon Barrett saw the descent. And <laughs> <laughs> and but that it still gets me because the scene where she gets stuck trying to get out—it's it—it it still works. It still works for me. Well, I, I will freely say this: I love the
4: Descent, but it, it never worked for me in a claustrophobic way. Uh, I think I don't know what it is, but this one actually made me a tiny bit claustrophobic. Like, oh, uh, this is a little uncomfortable. The Descent never did. It's a great, great creepy film, but it never hooked me with that claustrophobic feeling
3: this yeah I think this gets me a little bit more than that but yeah both still now that I'm super claustrophobic but I just I'm kind of like why no yeah. <laughs> well no, I don't need to be in that situation that's all it comes down to and I gotta
0: say like from here on out pretty much from the point where they see the house the the weird alien monster outside aside all of this I think I'm is I'm not
3: saying it's aliens. I don't think it is. <laughs> but it looks a little too much like what you see represented as aliens in movies and things that I just feel like uh, it's almost it almost implies it and no. I don't I don't well, want that.
4: Let well, me Vanessa. Uh... I I you said you would send me the uh the young adult books. I will yes. actually send you screen grabs with uh-huh. uh, the color turned up. You can clearly tell it's a person that's just got long limbs.
3: No, it does. It definitely looks like a person. Okay. No, I agree. It looks like a person. So it doesn't look like a complete like gray, like alien. <laughs> but but it, it looks much more like that or like a Slenderman type figure.
4: Okay, I, I'll go with the Slenderman thing. Yeah, I, I see you that. You know what
3: I mean? And, yeah. <laughs> it's a little too much of Aliens in its design that I'm not, I'm just like, you could have done it differently.
0: Yeah, I was, I was just checking the transcript, Vanessa. And uh, what you said was, quote, I'm not saying it's Aliens, <laughs> but it's Aliens. <laughs> That's what I heard. Yeah.
3: I'm saying it looks a little <laughs> too much like it for my taste, is what it is, is what I'm saying. That's I'm not saying it is actual aliens though. Because I know it's not.
0: So after we do this. <laughs> <laughs> so after we do the descent, um <laughs> right? Lisa gets free and hears something coming behind her. As she's trying to get uh, like this padlock open to open this wooden hatch above her. And again, I think all this works real well. I think this is all actually exciting and scary. And she busts up into the house and fucking murders Lane who is <laughs> waiting there for her. And, but something is still right behind her. And, you know, I again, this is the question of like is this the witch behind her? If so, I'm not crazy about the witch being portrayed as this big monster if it is just again a manifestation of whatever it is that terrifies her i'm more okay with that i just wish it were more explicit yes. agreed uh i don't is really have stink anything of
3: marshmallow man <laughs> right <laughs> just,
0: uh goals are the Gozarian. goals early and are the traveler Ghost are the destructor
3: choose a form <laughs> i mean just that's all I'm saying.
4: And yeah. that might be what they were gonna go with or something, because they had all this figured out and were going to expand upon it. But you know, uh, it kind of tanked. But um, I, I like I said, I wrote, I, I fanficked it that it's Heather, but it, it's foreign looking enough that it bothers me, and, and we never get a
0: good look at it. It's yeah. just right. quick glimpses, right? I would almost rather we saw nothing at all to what we see. Oh, no. See, I
4: love that you just get enough that you're just like, what the fuck was that?
3: No, I want to see nothing. I would prefer the. No,
4: see, I I, I know I'm in the minority here. I'm happy with seeing that and no more. Whereas I know there are people on both sides that I want to see it perfectly or I don't want to see anything.
3: I just i I like this certain amount of letting your imagination run wild
4: like oh mine was in the theater while that thing was running at you with that sound effects going on. my mind was running wild trying to figure out what
0: the fuck that was sure yeah i I mean yeah I <sighs> It's again. It's like we talked about uh, a while back with Haunting of Hill House* and Mike Doherty saying the question's always better than the answer. And I just wish I had a few more questions about that. Okay, uh, but but I I don't think it's the worst end of the film. Um, but we'll we'll get to that. We're almost <laughs> uh, at at the end of this because Lisa ends up in the same room with James, uh, like up in the attic. And th- this is where we get the bright light outside that you say is daylight and I'm with that because that's better than like, oh, it was a UFO. Because I thought the same <laughs> or, thing where or I'm like, sane, eh.
3: Or it's a rip in the space-time continuum.
0: Right. Or, yeah, something. I'm kind of, this is one of those things where I'm like, oh, I don't care what it is. The fact that they saw it and it was just like, holy shit, what is that? That's exactly. all I Exactly. You know?
3: No, I'm I'm fine with that too. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then James tells Lisa to uh get in the corner and not to look at the witch. Which harkens back to what Lane said about like if you look her in the eye, she'll you'll die of fright. Shh,
1: <laughs> Just keep your eyes closed.
0: Shall I take sacrifices? I can't look directly at. Her. But here's the thing that I, I really like is that James Starts to say, like, Heather, is that you? And Lisa's mm-hmm. like, Who are you talking to? Heather? Is <laughs> I... that really
2: Who are you talking to?
0: And then he turns around and then whack, he's gone. Yeah, we just see him jerked out of frame. Yeah, it's fucking great
1: well
3: it's like he heard heather's voice which is what drew him into the house so obviously something was been speaking to him
0: yeah and and so lisa uh then she decides (laughs) well i'm gonna use the camera to kind of be my eyes a little bit of medusa uh the who is it Perseus was that who Perseus. did it? Yeah. Perseus yeah mm-hmm. uh, of using the shield to uh get the reflection kind of that right. thing with a video camera so she's right. not looking directly behind her but she can see yes. and um so she's backing up and uh you get like a little glimpse of something moving back there and then she said she <laughs> believes she hears James saying I'm so sorry and she turns to face the voice and then she gets God
1: Lisa I'm so sorry
4: yeah and it's actually the exact same line that he said earlier when they're facing into the corner exact same reading everything they just looped it where he's saying how sorry he is that they're in this situation Yeah. right
0: right so it's like the witch heard him and just imitated him. Yeah, just replayed it. Yeah, which is rad.
4: Like, well, she's she's already killed him. And I, I my personal reading of the first one, when we see um, uh, Josh's teeth, uh, he's already dead. And the the voice we hear in the night is the witch. Right, right. Sure.
3: I agree.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm totally with that. And uh, yeah, I mean, also it's probably worth pointing out. That the video that we see buried in the tree is actually Lisa, not Heather. Exactly. So it's all time warpy. Oh, yeah,
4: absolutely. Yeah, 100%. That's, yeah, time warp. So, uh, and the
3: video that drew, yeah, that drew, you know, them out there in the first place was her. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, all right, let's, uh, this one, like I said, I've got a complicated relationship with this movie. Uh, Vanessa, you have already said that the, uh, again, quote, fuck this movie for its use of aliens, (laughs) end quote. But other than that, how do you feel about this thing?
3: Fuck it's overuse of jump scares. Okay. I have that problem. I mean, it does some things right, and that's what's frustrating. The sound design, I think, is excellent in some places, but then it uses like this, I, like once like the frantic pace, you know, increases, the sound effects with it are just more annoying than than anything else. You know, it, it, it's kind of not quite like an air raid. I mean, it might as well be an air raid siren though. It's kind of grating. And it's like, why why do you like again maybe you could have used it some but it's overused and it no it doesn't need to be in there it's distracting and after a point you're like wait just you're complicating it keeping it it's too much just too much and that's where it goes back to the first film there was something a certain simplicity there that that's sometimes all
0: you need yeah yeah i, I john what about you
4: um uh i i've let it be known all over uh i absolutely love this film um there's there's a lot i like about it well fuck it i'll just i'll just get into it now (laughs) we're kind of there anyway um i i know there's a lot of people that don't like this film but like i said i absolutely love it um i love the supernatural elements the uh the creepy creature that we discussed um I cannot tell you the last time I jumped in a theater when that thing burst out of the cellar and came charging at us, I jumped in the theater. It actually got me. Um, I think the ghosts in the house, uh, is really good. I I like that a lot. Uh, I really like the expanded mythology and, uh, that third act. Oh my fucking God. That entire third act. Um, it's, it's frightening it's terrifying to me i i can't get over that third act it's what hooks me um like i said man very few films can actually affect me but the first time i saw this i left scared and uh given enough time in between it still affects me uh every single time i've seen this it fucking gets to me um don't get me wrong this this is not on the same level as the original, but this is leaps and bounds above the the sequel. And in my opinion, it can't be viewed in the same light, but this is a worthy,
0: uh, follow-up. All right. Uh, I, you know, I think you're both right. Um, <laughs> is my problem. I, there are decisions made in this movie that I find a, a little off putting. I do think that it relies a little too heavily on jump scares when it doesn't need to, like I think there's enough creep factor that it can, it doesn't have to traffic in that kind of currency. Anymore. No, that's
3: I, that's exactly where I am.
0: And so, so that's frustrating. I think that the Ashley character just goes nowhere and does nothing in this movie. Uh, even her death, I think, is real. Like the off screen shit, just whatever. Um, I, I think that's real disappointing. Um, but but. I like the towny characters. I like what it's trying to do with the mythology even with the stuff that I don't really care for. I like the fact that it's trying to expand it some ways. And in some ways I think it's very clever and the stuff that it does with like time and space in in this movie, in particular I really like. And like John was saying, I think the third act of this movie is genuinely scary. And when I watched it again, it still got under my skin. And like watching it, making notes at my computer in the middle of my office, you know, perfectly well lit. And I'm like, man, this movie is really starting to creep me out some. And and so in a weird way, I think that it's almost, I certainly prefer it to the second one. I, I think it's a more pure horror film. I just wish it were a better Blair Witch film in a weird way. Uh, and, and got away from being a more mainstream horror film, like, uh, say what you will about Blair Witch, but it's an indie film through and through. And I wish this felt a little more raw like that. Um, but let's, uh, let's rate it up. And, and while we're at it, in addition to rating this, let's do, uh, the order that we would rank the three films and John, let's start with you. What would you grade? 2016's Blair Witch, and how would you rate the films in order? Uh, okay, um
4: a lot of the stuff you guys said doesn't bother me, uh, but the jump scare scares do get to me. Uh, and really, reflecting back, that's really about the only thing I'd truly change. Um, I'm going to give it four and a half stars simply because uh, it was actually able to get to me and actually caused me and the fiance to have a conversation after watching this in the theater. Um, She is absolutely against seeing uh, scary movies with me because I pay for a ticket and she watches half the movie. Anyway, um, four and a half stars for uh, Blair Witch 2016. It's bold, sir. It's
0: bold. I like it.
4: I know. I know. I'm I'm out there uh, on my own, uh, kind of pulling a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street remake.
0: (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I'm the Jamie now. Um, But
4: anyway... I would obviously rank them original, uh, Blair Witch, and then Book of Shadows.
0: Vanessa, how about you?
3: Oy. um, <laughs> Really? Uh, yay, 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 yay. Well, this is another one that it just kind of hits me at whatever time. So I hate to say it because I really do. And I want to enjoy it more than I do because um, I really like the the whole way it plays with time and space and everything within the mythos but um yeah i just i still just can't completely get into it so i gotta say three and a half stars
0: three and a half stars makes some sense to me i i think that's where i land with it as well but like i'm a i'm a very enthusiastic three and a half stars see i'm not
3: (laughs) that disappoints me <laughs> uh
0: yeah I, but you know i'm i'm willing to to be the uh you know happier of the two the more optimistic of the two of us here um yeah i think that i think it's a good scary movie if sometimes kind of dumb and and so i would go three and a half stars did uh did you give uh did you give your order did i miss that no right, no let's... i didn't all right, let's hear it. Are we
3: are we talking about what we enjoy more or what's better? I just I, whatever I, I would say <laughs> whatever you different. enjoy more because they're different. <laughs> uh,
0: I w- I would say whatever you. How would you recommend them? What would if if someone's was like what what how should I watch? I them. Okay. Yeah. How
3: would I recommend them? Well, that's another story too. Um, number one, obviously, I would say the first original Blair Witch. And then I would say the 2016
1: mm-hmm. Blitter
3: Witch and then um, Book of Shadows.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, would, I, I agree I entirely. I
3: think I enjoy Book of Shadows more than the really? 2016 Ooh. Blitter Witch. I know. That's bold. <laughs> like I said, I want to enjoy it more. But I recognize that it has a, has a lot of good things going for it.
0: Yeah, I just, just wish I
3: enjoyed it more.
0: After having watched Book of Shadows a couple of times recently, I just I think it's, that movie's real boring. Kinda is, yeah.
3: Yeah, but I kinda of feel like that about the 2016 Yeah. All right. And uh, the... places there just kind of makes me a little
0: bored. I yeah, I I understand. I I'm you're not and wrong. I wish
3: I wish I wish I wish it didn't make me feel like that cuz it's got a lot of other things that are good going for it.
0: You know? I would But I, I
3: would but I recognize I am in the minority. That's why you're talking about recommendations. I'd recommend yeah, <laughs> totally differently. <laughs> I
0: would I would actually tell people like see 1 for sure. If you like that, see 3. And or you should just watch 3 if you just want a good popcorn horror movie. And then um c2 if you're interested in the mythology but also it's not very good but also Doesn't really expand mythology yeah, i mean it just it, it's but it's, it's interesting because of it, what it, it sh- is because of how conceptually weird it is
3: yes exactly it's kind of just odd <laughs> right it's
0: like if you you decided you wanted David Byrne to make a sequel to Silent Night Deadly Night, you know? i was just <laughs> like
3: sure. I'm on board with that totally. I, what are you talking about? I am
0: too. Now that I've said it out loud.
3: Actually, I'm a lot more on board with that yeah. than <laughs> Book <of> Shadows. But
0: <laughs> um, I okay.
4: mean, how can you go wrong? Is Silent Night Deadly Night? Oh my! god, uh, Yes, please. He does the soundtrack. <laughs>
0: Fucking David
3: Byrne, man. Wow.
0: (laughs) Oh, I I see a a chimney.
3: I want to find a way to make this happen.
0: (laughs) Now I see a deer. (laughs) How will I murder? Well, that's not very clear. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Oh, David Byrne for the evening. So, Bo. Yes uh all right so uh, uh your order right three and a half stars enthusiastically for blair witch 2016 and i would go yeah one three two it's it, it like you should see blair witch project did seminal horror viewing even if you don't respond to it you need to see it uh the third one i think is fun and then you know book of shadows whatever we we've gone over all
4: that <laughs> um you know, I'm actually surprised. I was I was expecting a more uh, visceral reaction, and I was I was really expecting to be the sole defender here. So, of of two of what uh,
0: of uh, of sixteen of Blair Witch, really? Yeah, yeah i I think Blair Witch 2016 gets a little bit more shit than it deserves. Yeah, it it's just coming oh, yeah. off of the genius of Your Next into uh yeah i just remember
4: it came out and then it seemed like everyone on facebook and and everywhere else was just shitting on it and it's just like i i don't understand what this is a great film I, i i just remember setting at my not being able to comprehend why everyone hated this
0: film and i loved it so much so yeah, I there is. Uh, I think it's here on the Legion side. Uh, my review of it is still up, and my opinion of it then is largely what it is now. Of like, it's problematic but scary. Um, and I'll I'll take that every day. Uh, yeah. So, look, y'all. Uh, thank you so much for b- joining. Uh, you know, g- good lord, what a an Herculean task of covering everything Blair Witch. Uh, I couldn't have picked two better people to do it with me. Thank you so much. Uh, First of all, to Vanessa, the long-suffering co-host, Vanessa. Thank you so (laughs) much.
3: Long-suffering? I haven't been here uh, even a year yet, so.
0: (laughs) It feels like we've all suffered a little longer than a year, though. (laughs)
3: Thank you. (laughs) glad to know I could help with that. I did it, it,
0: not you obviously <laughs> I meant sure I just mean everything feels like uh it, it takes forever now um Agreed. <laughs> every, every day feels like a month of horror um uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh thank you so much and, and John of course uh you didn't even have to like you you could have said no uh but thank you so much and and lending your expertise and uh and so forth and I, you know, I, I, where I land on this, I think is that this is a, a pretty, at the very least an interesting franchise, if not a pretty great one, um, as a rule, I think it's a, everything surrounding it is kind of fascinating to me. Oh, I agree. And,
4: uh, no, thank you guys so much for actually having me on. I, I've been a fan for years now and i'm glad to actually get a chance to do a full episode instead of david hitting me up 10 minutes before you guys record like (laughs) hey you want to jump on it's like i have a fever of 101 but sure i'm not gonna pass this up so
0: (laughs) perfect yeah
4: i i i'm grateful that you guys allowed me to come on and discuss this franchise that i love so well
0: thank you for
3: coming on Glad to know someone around here knows what's going on.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Bo and I sure don't.
0: <laughs> a lot okay. of wing in it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome, guys. So, uh, obviously, you can find uh, John over at Rabin and Red and uh, Vanessa VD BD Clinic. Uh, Psychosomatic on, on the regular, really. When Blair Witch premiered, it was expected to be a huge hit. Horror had been doing well all year long, with the latest Purge film, Don't Breathe, Lights Out, and more doing gangbusters at the box office. But reviews were mixed, most feeling that the film did little to iterate on the original, and it was kind of too late to be forgiven for being just a rehash with a few tweaks. While the movie did make money off its $5 million budget, and another $20 million for marketing, it quickly disappeared from cinema and pop culture consciousness. The Blair Witch was, effectively, laid to rest. Which is where we sit now. A franchise that is both a genre-shaping influence and kind of a curiosity for its misfires and mythology. But you've heard what we think. Now I want to know what you guys think. So if you would, drop us a line. You can reach me directly at bo at legionpodcasts.com That's just B-O at legionpodcasts.com or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash devour the podcast. I want to say thanks for listening to this very special episode of devour the podcast and let us know if you'd like to hear more like this in the future. It does take a lot of work. Uh, It's a lot of interviews, a lot of research and a lot of editing, but I think it's kind of worth it. So let us know and, uh, and maybe we'll do more in this vein. So I want to say one last thank you to Vanessa McHenry and John Rhodes, who were uh, here for this show and did a tremendous amount of work as well. Uh, They were fantastic, and I love them both. And uh, just thank you guys once more on behalf of myself, Bo Ransdell, and Vanessa McHenry and John Rhodes. Good night, guys.